Adult content intended for an adult audience only. All characters engaging in sexual relationships or activities are 18 years old or older. Contains explicit words, thoughts, and ideas. This story was found on a free website and brought to audio form here. I did not write and take no credit for this story. Please visit the link above to further support this writer. A Tournament at Midsummer by World of Eros Vision three hooves thundered above the roar of the crowd, and Vision lowered his lance. Beneath him, his loyal steed Zephyr churned his legs faster, tearing up clods of the tournament pitch. Vision stared ahead through the vision slit of his helm, eyes locked onto his opponent. From the other end of the lists, a knight quartered in blue and red, his tabard emblazoned with a white pegasus, hurtled toward him atop a red-haired steed. The lance heads gleamed in the afternoon sunlight, splayed to divert the force of the impact but still a deadly weapon in an expert's hands. Vision tried to shut out the raucous cheers of the crowd, tried to forget that the king and all his family were watching, and concentrate on landing his lance blow against his opponent. Both lance heads bobbed in the air before the riders with each rise and fall of the horses. Vision gritted his teeth for the impact, peering out the frog-mouthed helm as the distance narrowed. He steadied his lance and held it firm until the last moment. The crowd roared in anticipation. The two knights came together in a crash. Vision jolted in his saddle as the lances each struck their opposite shields. He was wrenched sideways in his high saddle, his feet twisting in the stirrups. He tightened his legs' grip around the horse and squeezed. The lances shattered, spraying splinters across the face of his frog-mouthed helm, which he had tilted back just before the moment of impact. The cracking of wood was deafening, as was the thunderous hoofbeats of the two stallions passing. But it was the roar of an elated crowd that drowned them both out. Clapping, shouting, beating their feet on the stands, the tournament audience erupted with delight. Vision teetered in the saddle, discarding his ruined lance, and heard the crowd groan in worried anticipation. But he steadied himself, and regained his seat, and the groans turned to cheers. His stallion slowed as it neared the far end of the pitch, and Vision lowered his head to look around again. Before him stood his loyal squire Tebow, already with a fresh painted lance in his hand. Well struck! Tebow cheered. Vision nodded, his breath coming short in the excitement. Through the deadening iron of his helm, he heard the tournament judge cry out over the noise of the crowd. One point for Sir Vision de Sirac. One point for Sir Aramund de Baltrier. The riders will tilt again. Tebow passed the lance to Vision, who took it up and steadied it on his armored toe. The crowd seems to like you, he offered and Vision nodded as best he could under the heavy helm. They love a knight-errant, Vision replied easily. But through his vision slit, he turned his eyes to the royal family's box, where the king sat beneath a gold-trimmed canopy of crimson silk. The king looked from Sir Aramun to Vision, giving each of them an approving nod, then gestured for the tournament judge to continue. But Vision barely heard him, his eyes instead going to the young woman seated to the king's left. Princess Adeline was a slender young beauty, delicate in form and face, her long, dark brown hair flowing out from beneath a double-pointed henan of blue velvet. But most importantly to Vision, she was looking his way. Another woman in a saffron dress leaned in, whispering something in her ear, and the princess covered her mouth with a gloved hand, though behind it, Vision could tell she was laughing. He gave her a respectful nod, 
and Adeline turned her head to confide in her maid. Well ridden, Sir Vision, called a voice from the lists. Vision turned to face Countess Tyburge, a long-time friend of the order. The Countess wore a dress of deep green, trimmed with gold lace, and an elaborate headdress studded with gilded birds. Three great pearls on a golden chair rested on her exposed bosom, shining in the sunlight. She was ten years his senior, but with the carefree and jovial attitude of a widow enjoying her freedom that made her irresistible. Vision nodded back to her in acknowledgement. I thank you, my lady. I always aim to impress you with my lance. And you always succeed. I know my lances, just as I know a good ride when I see one. She replied with a saucy wink. She waved her goblet in his direction, and a few droplets of dark red wine splashed out to fall on her bodice. I could have unhorsed him, had you let me wear your favor. He called back. Tybridge laughed, a goblet in one hand and a stuffed sparrow in the other. She lifted the drink to her lips and tilted it back. My favor was already spoken for, I'm afraid. But find me after the tilts, I have business with the order I'd like to discuss. I do so love to discuss business with you, my lady, he replied, and the countess broke out into delighted laughter with her maids. Trumpets sounded behind Vision. Riders, called the tournament judge. Make ready. Vision exchanged another look with the countess through his narrow vision slit. She seductively raised the golden goblet to her lips and met his eyes. One delicate eyebrow arched at him. Tisk. Thibault snapped his fingers before him. Maintain your focus. This joust is yet to be won. The ladies love a winner, and if you win this, you can go into the night's festivities as one. Though you'll be lucky to make it through tomorrow morning with this attitude. Calm yourself, Thibault. There's hardly a man in the kingdom more skilled with the lance than I am. Aye, but they're all here. The king knows how to draw a crowd, he remarked looking around the brightly colored sea of spectators and fluttering pennants. High above the canopied stands rose the king's castle of Chateau d'Argent, a gray-walled bastion surrounded by idyllic fields and woods. All the kingdom's finest had come out for the occasion, and Vision had found the competition stiff. Good. It will make victory all the sweeter. Now step aside, I'd hate for you to get trampled. Thibault did as told but not without an exaggerated roll of his eyes. As his squire scampered away to the racks of lances, Vision focused himself on the task ahead of him, trying to put thoughts of Tyburge and Princess Adeline from his mind. At the far end of the lists, Sir Aramund was sitting stoically atop his horse. He rested the butt of a green and white striped lance atop his toe and gave Vision a slight nod of his helm. The heralds raised their flags and trumpets blasted. The trumpets sounded again, and they were off. The crowd roared and Vision spurred his horse into motion. Hooves beat on the tournament pitched like war drums and the distant Sir Aramund grew in Vision's vision. He leveled his lance, aiming for the Pegasus emblazoned at the center of his opponent's shield. Somehow over the din, he thought he heard Tyburge cry out to him. They came together in a crash again, and Vision turned with the impact against his shield swinging his full body into his own lance blow. His lance bent upwards in the collision, but carried his driving force enough to wrench his opponent from the saddle. Sir Aramund's lance fell from his grasp, he teetered in the saddle, and the crowd gasped in excitement. They thundered past each other, and Vision heard only the roar of the crowd behind him. 
He reached the end of the pitch and wheeled his horse around. Sir Eremund lay prone in the dust, his horse trotting to a halt at the far end of the pitch. The crowd erupted. Thousands leapt to their feet as one. The wooden stands groaned underneath them, but they beat their feet against it anyway. The cheers reverberated through Vision's armor, echoing inside his frog-mouthed helm and he felt himself break out in a broad smile. He was victorious. Servants emerged from beneath the king's seating section to help Sir Eremund to his feet. He staggered to his feet and shakily removed his helm, his shoulder-length blonde hair spilling out from beneath. Eremund bowed before the royal box and, supported by a servant and his squire, made his way off in the direction of his horse. In his wake, Vision rode forward. He felt the eyes of all in the crowd upon him, and spied Tyburge watching approvingly from her seat as a servant refilled her goblet. Vision hid his amusement beneath his helm. Slowly, basking in the adulation, he approached the royal box and stopped before it. The tournament judge, a well-respected count by the name of Theobald de Viziers rose from his pulpit and quieted the crowd with a raised hand. Sir Vision de Surac has defeated Sir Eremund de Baltrier by unhorsing. I declare him the victor. On cue, the crowd broke out into rapturous applause. Thibault appeared at Vision's side and took the lance from him. His hand freed, Vision reached up and removed his helm a heavy piece made heavier by the thick azure cloth wrapped around its brow and the painted wooden griffin statue atop it. His fair hair spilled out from beneath, and he let it fall to his shoulders. He felt the warmth of the midsummer sun on his ruddy face and smiled broader as he bowed in the saddle before the king. Holding the helm in the crook of his arm, he looked up at the king as he rose from his heavy throne of carved and polished elden oak. King Guntherick was a middle-aged man, though graying early. He was not a tall man, which made his wide waist seem even wider than it might otherwise. But the king loved his feasts and loved his wine, requiring his clothiers to work even harder to keep up. Today, he wore a snow-white doublet with his personal crest of a red lion rampant on the chest and a cloak of ermine beneath his heavy, golden crown. The lion rippled like a flag in the wind with each breath the king's fat body took. Nevertheless, he looked the image of a king as he lumbered to the railing and looked down to Vision. I offer my most hearty congratulations, Sir Vision, he boomed, and the crowd cheered again in response. You are the last of our competitors to win his tilt for the day, and as such will have the honor of opening the lists in the morning. May your good fortune hold that long. As the crowd cheered once again, Princess Adeline stepped up next to her father and her uncle Duke Sigismund de Beaufort appeared on the other side. In contrast to his obese elder brother, the Duke cut a handsome figure that had carved a path through lists earlier in the day. The Duke had since doffed his armor, and now wore a sable brocade with his crest of a red dragon rampant on his chest. And may it continue to hold if you should meet my brother! The king roared with laughter. He slapped Sigismund on the back and the Duke grimaced under the weight of the blow. He looked down at Vision with a thin smile. Well done there, Sir Vision, he proclaimed just above the cheers of the crowd. I will study you closely in anticipation of our inevitable meeting. You do me a great honor, Your Grace, Vision replied, but his eyes went quickly to Princess Adeline. Princess, I am honored to joust before you today. I hope that my display of martial prowess was satisfactory. You performed most admirably, Sir Vision. 
Princess Adeline replied, her cheeks turning the slightest bit rosy. I am delighted by the displays of all the knights today. I look forward to seeing more of you tomorrow. Vision smiled and made to reply, but King Guntheric cut him off. Three cheers for Sir Vision de Sirac! Hooray! 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 roared the crowd. The king smiled before continuing. That concludes the jousting for today. Now, let us not linger here any longer than necessary. It's time for a feast. The king, his brother, and the princess turned and exited the royal box, and Vision turned toward the staging area where Tiba waited for him. Behind him, the crowd began to filter out of the stands and back to the tournament grounds, several acres of brightly colored tents, stalls, and pavilions on the grassy field before the castle. Vision stopped his courser beside a rack of lances and swung himself from the saddle. Thibault received his helm and handed it off to a page. His squire looked up to him from his shorter height through clear blue eyes and frowned. I fear you forget yourself, Thibault cautioned as the page scurried away. You are a knight-errant, and the princess is a princess. A little flirting never hurt anyone, Vision replied with a laugh. You saw her, she finds me handsome. No doubt. But I also saw the king interpose himself. He's a jovial man when he's drunk, but I'd rather not give him reason to be angry. You always worry, Thibault. Yet your worries are so rarely justified, are they? I told you that man was a bandit, Thibault reminded him, and that the riverboat was leaky. I was the first to suggest that the Baron Montague was enchanted by a witch, the one who told you what griffin droppings looked like, the one who, yes, yes, all right. You've made your point. But we survived all of those. A little teasing with the princess is nothing compared to that. It never stops with just teasing. I know, Vision replied dreamily. Thibault sighed. In any case, the countess wants to see you in her chambers. To discuss business, she says. Perhaps it will take your mind off the princess. Perhaps it will, Vision mused, handing over the reins. I should go see to this business at once. Vision soon found himself on his back, with the naked countess riding his cock. She sat in his lap, imperiously peering down her nose at him as she bounced up and down, her buttocks slapping against him with each descent. Vision held her by the hips, feeling the embrace of her experienced sex around his shaft, and pawing at her breasts with one hand. Tybridge leaned over him, her golden hair falling in coiled locks around her beautiful face. Your swordsmanship never disappoints, Sir Vision, she whispered. He raised an arm and laid it about her shoulders to pull her close for a kiss. I am always at your service, my lady, he replied, and she batted playfully at him. They kissed, lips locked and tongues tied, as Vision thrust himself into her. The countess smelled of rich perfume, which he found as intoxicating as the wine she had served him upon his arrival. He squeezed her tighter, feeling her hard nipples press against his chest, and felt about to come inside her. She felt it too, for she broke his embrace and sat up, the pace of her riding slowing. I'm not done with you yet, she chuckled. Her hands clutched at his chest and pinched his nipples between her fingernails. Vision gasped in pain, and Tybridge laughed. I had thought you more inured to pain. You've certainly got the scars of a seasoned warrior. No orc or dragon has ever bitten me there, Vision replied. 
he raised his hands to pinch her nipples in return. Tybridge moaned, biting her lower lip as she slid herself slowly and sensually up and down his cock. Her head craned back to stare up at the wooden ceiling, though Vision could see that her eyes were closed. He sat up and put his mouth to her breast, suckling lustily at her pale pink nipples. Tybridge wrapped her arms around his shoulders, tousling his hair in her fingers. My handsome knight, she whispered, burying her face in his scalp. Vision grabbed handfuls of her taut ass and held her in his arms, all the while his cock thrust into her. She pushed him away and down to the bed again, where he nestled himself into the pillows to look up at her. Tybridge looked down on him with fondness, for they often found their way into bed together when their paths crossed. The countess was widowed, a regent for her young son, and an heiress in her own right, which all left her with quite a bit of freedom and means. Like so many other women of the kingdom, she adored the knights of the griffin, and had lavished many generous gifts on the order over the years, when she was not taking them to bed. My lady, Vision purred as he lay on silken pillows. She leaned down and kissed him again. When she pulled her soft lips away, she lingered before his eyes, her emeralds piercing his soul as his cock pierced her loins. You jousted well today, she whispered, her breath hot on his face. She gripped his shoulder, long fingernails digging into his naked flesh. I should so love to see you win the whole tournament. I always aim to please, my lady. Vision growled as he clasped her about the waist and fucked her vigorously. You would do the order proud, she whispered. And I would do the order proud with another gift. Perhaps that land along the creek your grandmaster has been eyeing for years? You are most generous, my lady, Vision grunted. He slapped her across the bum and saw the delight sparkle in her eyes. That I am, but at the moment my purse feels a bit empty. Might you do something about that? Here, perhaps I can help. She sat up again and her white hands closed about his throat. Fuck me, sir, she cried, her hips driving back onto his as he fucked. Her smooth, lovely breasts shook with each motion, and he found their motion hypnotic. Vision felt himself bite down on his own lip, and his toes curled as he built to a climax inside her. Tiber urged him on, her hands clawing and clutching at his throat until at last he groaned in release and came in her. He gasped as his thrusting slowed, and the countess settled atop him. She patted him on the cheek and smiled. Well done, my dear knight. Vision gave her a fatigued smile, and Tyburge turned quickly away. Celia, more wine. She commanded with an outstretched hand. From the seats against the wall, her maid rose and filled a goblet with wine. Three of Tybridge's other maids sat quietly before the window, sewing while their mistress rode. Vision had nearly forgotten them, but the countess servants were a familiar presence when they fucked. She never liked to be far from the lap of luxury. Tybridge took the goblet from her servant and dismounted, playing idly with his slackening cock with her free hand. Her eyes met his as she sipped the wine. It's been too many months since we last did this. She mused, considering the cock in hand. What have you been doing since then? Questing, he replied breathlessly. I've been away in the north, then the south. The centaur have been moving in again, and the dwarves were grumpy about something related to trade. Hm, Tybridge mused. I can't stand dwarves. Harry, runty things always trying to get into my bed. Have you any tales of heroism? 
I do love those. Of course, he replied, propping himself up onto his elbows to look at her. She was still naked, of course, but he could see his cum dripping from her shaven sex onto the silken sheets. Celia would no doubt be changing them soon, but it would be the king's laundresses who would do the cleaning. What would I be without tales of heroism? A much less interesting lay, Tybridge replied. Go on, do tell. Ah, very well, Vision sighed. He thought a moment. Which of my war stories will she most appreciate? Tebow and I went down to the verge in the early spring. Dreadful time of year to go there, by the way. Swamps are miserable at any time, but especially in the spring. It's all stinging gnats, stinky bogs, and more goblins than you can imagine. Goblins? Oh dear, I find them more repulsive than dwarves. I hope you slew them. As many as I could, my lady, but there are hordes of them and they know the swamps well. But Thibault and I were down there on behalf of some merchant guild. They harvest peat from the swamp and sell it up north. Anyway, they were beset by a monster in the swamps and hired us to kill it. Oh, Tyberge cooed in interest. She bent her head to his cock where a trail of cum dribbled down it and slowly began to lick it all up with her long, deaf tongue. Don't mind me. Carry on with your story. Vision smiled. His toes curled as she licked, but he soldiered on with his tail. We hired a boat and went out into the swamps where they had lost their last shipment. It was dark and foggy. We could barely see a thing even with our lanterns. We blundered about for hours, getting colder and wetter and surlier until, just as I was about to turn back dash, there was a knock at the door to their chamber. The maids rose, and Vision looked to the door, though he felt unable to move due to the countess' control of his cock. But Tyberge barely stirred from her seat, slowly turning a disinterested eye to the door as she touched a finger to the cum leaking from her shaven sex. Celia crossed the chamber and pulled the door open a crack. What is it? she asked. Her ladyship is, oh, of course, your highness. She stepped back suddenly and Princess Adeline swept into the room with her maid in tow. Vision started in surprise and bolted to his feet on the far side of the belt, fumbling about for a pillow with which to cover himself. Apologies, your highness, he yelled pitifully. We were not expecting you. Adeline stopped in her tracks when she spotted him, her pale cheeks turning rosy. She stopped so abruptly that her maid ran into her back and nearly bowled her over. The princess stood still as a statue for a moment, considering Vision, who pathetically covered his nethers with a green silk pillow. Though at all, Tybridge merely sat naked and dripping on the bed, sipping boredly from her goblet. Did you wish something of me, your highness? The countess asked, stretching herself out on the bed languidly. Adeline bit her lower lip and raised her eyebrows in consternation, but quickly regained her poise. Apologies for the interruption, Countess, but I needed to speak to Sir Vision. His squire told me where to find him. If you're looking for some fun with him, I'm afraid I've gotten to him first. Even a strapping young man like him will need some time to recover from that. No, I... That's not why I'm here. Adeline stammered, and Tybridge smiled taking another draw of wine from the goblet. Vision could not but help notice the red print of his hand on her backside, and also felt his cock hardening behind the pillow. Sir Vision, the princess continued, I wanted to ask your help in something. Vision tried to stammer something in reply, 
but words failed him and instead he continued to hold the pillow in front of himself. Adeline looked from him to the naked countess, and her maid smirked behind a hand. Apologies, my lady. The princess managed at last. Could I speak to Sir Vision alone? Tybridge looked from Adeline to Vision, then back to the princess with an arched eyebrow. These are my chambers, highness. If you want to speak, speak in front of my or find somewhere else. Adeline's eyes narrowed slight, and she set her shoulders firmly. Very well. Sir Vision, my maid has seen suspicious things about the tournament grounds and the castle, and I would like you to investigate. Vision paused, one foot creeping across the floor to where his breeches lay discarded, and looked to the princess again. Her maid in the yellow dress also squared her shoulders and stepped up beside her mistress. He shrugged. Very well, your highness. I am at your service. Adeline looked to the countess again. Is she circumspect? Tybridge laughed. My dear, I am well-practiced intriguer and a dear friend of Sir Vision's slash you have nothing to fear from me. I, Vision confirmed. And her maids as well. They help Countess Tybridge arrange discreet liaisons at every feast and tournament, and keep them from the attentions of more prudish lords and ladies of the realm. And by liaisons, Tybridge added in a stage whisper to the princess, The good Sir Knight means orgies. She gave the princess a knowing wink, and the younger women both blushed bright red. You should drop by some time. Tybridge added, casually sipping from her goblet. Damn, empty again. Celia. Adeline ignored the countess as her goblet was refilled. She turned to her maid. Very well. If he says they are trustworthy, I shall trust them. Tilda, tell Vision what you saw. The other woman nodded and folded her hands in front of her. I was asked by her highness to fetch some wine from the cellars. While down there, I heard voices. I am naturally curious, and for that I apologize, but I crept closer to listen. I spied several men conferring, but I could not make out their faces for they were hooded and cloaked. I heard them speaking of a sorcerer, his spells, and the king. I am sorry I couldn't hear more, it was echoey and they were moving. I had to stay back to stay hidden, but I heard them mention a meeting tonight at the base of the wall and to keep it secret. Sir Vision, I fear something sinister is afoot. Tournaments are known for being rife with intrigue. Tyburge murmured, sipping on her goblet again. And sorcerers are always trouble. Have you brought this to your father? Vision asked. Or his spymaster? I did, answered Adeline. But he dismissed it. He is here to enjoy himself, and won't hear talk of intrigue or skulking schemers. So I came to you. Do you not have your own knights to help you? Adeline raised her hands helplessly. I am my father's youngest child. All my brothers and sisters have their own servants, but I must make do with Tilda and just two others. None of my household knights will tear themselves from the feasting and jousting to investigate my maid's claims. Unless they are still down in the cellars, what would you have me investigate? The base of the wall isn't much to go on. Vision asked. Celia held out his breeches to him, and he considered how to put them on while still shielding the princess from the sight of his nether regions. Well, Adeline began, and then stopped. Her brow furrowed in thought, and she crossed her arms beneath her breasts. Vision sighed internally and threw aside the silken pillow to dress himself. The princess was too distracted to react, 
but he noticed Tilda eyeing him, and specifically his cock. They must mean the base of the castle wall. Perhaps they mean to meet by the sally port. The wall could be any wall. Vision protested, struggling to get his foot through his breeches. Tybridge turned over to eye him with undisguised amusement, and he returned her stare with an annoyed look of his own. In any case, the castle's walls are long. Then we had better get started. Adeline replied. Look, the sun is low already. Vision sighed as he looked out the window. He had been looking forward to the banquet in the great hall. Very well, princess. Just give me a moment to get dressed. I will meet you just beyond the castle gates, but first I must change. She proclaimed and turned on her heel. She vanished through the door in a rush of skirts. She is quite something. Tybridge mused, and Vision could only shake his head. I'm sorry, my lady, you will have to find someone else to escort you to the feast. The countess stood up from the bed and patted him on the shoulder. Oh, it's no bother. But you will have to finish your swamp monster story another time. Tybridge sighed. She stood up and handed the goblet to Celia. Her other servants raised her dressing gown from the floor and she extended her arms for them to dress her. Vision eyed her bare ass with great intent until the dress was pulled over her to shield her from his hungry eyes. Tybridge noticed him looking all the same and shot him a sly smile. Run along and play with the princess now. You know where to find me when you're done. A short while later, Vision passed through the main gate from the outer bailey to the village. He had exchanged his blue surcoat with the order's crest on it for a plain white tunic and a gray cloak to cover himself, for it was now nearing sundown. The gates were usually closed at this time, but a steady stream of peddlers, revelers, and well-wishers continued to pass through it in either direction, all under the not-so-watchful eyes of two sentries leaning casually against the castle wall. Vision passed between them unnoticed in the wake of a cart laden with empty casks. Beyond the wall, he turned away from the road and melded in with the shadows. He kept an eye on the gate, waiting for Princess Adeline. His idle eyes wandered to the village, where even from this distance he could hear the night's revery. Music, laughter, and the cheers of drinkers floated across the expanse before him, and Vision could only smile. He wished he was there. Sir Vision! A voice behind him hissed, and he turned with a start. Pressed against the gray wall of the castle was the princess, shrouded in a plain dark cloak that betrayed none of her royal status. She had changed into man's clothing, and wore a plain doublet of white wool and dark green breeches. With a hurried look, the princess signaled for him to come closer. Vision cast a furtive look around, then slipped into the shadows to join her. Your Highness, he bowed and she seemed to blush in the darkness. Where is your maid? I left her behind to cover for my absence, Adeline replied, pulling her cloak tighter. She couldn't see anyone in the cellars, so we don't need her to identify the men she saw. Have you any experience with this sort of thing? Vision asked. Adeline pressed her lips together and looked to one side. I see. Follow my lead, then. Vision set off along the wall with Adeline in tow. The midsummer night was warm, only broken by an intermittent chill breeze from the east. Twice Vision looked back over his shoulder to ensure that the princess was keeping close. The ground near the base of the wall was uneven in places and one careless step could lead to a painful fall. But Adeline kept pace with him. 
The princess moved with one hand on the wall to steady herself, always staying one step behind him. They rounded the base of a corner tower, and Vision halted suddenly. Adeline, right behind him, ran full into his back with a muffled, Oof! Her legs buckled beneath her, and she clutched at his surcoat as she fell. Vision caught her arm, but as she slid down the slope, he lost his footing and was dragged down as well. They tangled together in the cool grass, and Vision dug his heels in to arrest their slide. He came up on top of the princess, prone in the grass. Adeline turned over to glare up at him, but Vision covered her mouth with one hand and pointed ahead of them. Adeline squinted into the darkness in confusion, her mouth screwing up under his hand. There was nothing to see. Wait, he whispered and Adeline lay still. There was no sound but the wind in the grass until at last, the moon broke through the night cloud cover and illuminated what Vision had seen. A cloaked gray figure crouched against the wall beneath the castle sally port, still and silent, looking for all the world like a stone gargle. There's our man, Vision whispered into the princess ear. It was only then that he realized his position, laying atop the king's youngest daughter with a hand over her mouth, and his cheeks turned red. As quickly as he dared, he rolled off her to lay beside her in the grass. Thibault may have been right, he conceded to himself. But Adeline did not seem to mind. She lay beside him, looking intently up the slope at the figure crouched before the wall who had not noticed them despite their fall. Neither of them dared to speak. The sally port cracked open, and another figure emerged. It too was cloaked in gray, and descended the narrow steps from the door quickly to stand beside the first figure. They conferred in hushed whispers for a brief moment, then set off determinately down the slope toward the tournament grounds. Vision waited until they had nearly disappeared into the darkness before he rose from the grass, pulling Adeline along with him. The two skulking plotters moved swiftly through the open fields until they disappeared into the sea of brightly colored tents that surrounded the lists. A ring of torches marked the edge of the tournament grounds, posing a brief opportunity for those within to spot them as they emerged from the darkened wilderness. With the princess following close behind once again, Vision hurried across the illuminated ground and into the sea of tents beneath waving pennants. Where did they go? Adeline whispered, her eyes searching for any sign of them. The paths between the tents were largely empty, with only a few people strolling casually along them, mostly drunk or otherwise oblivious to their presence. But there was no sign of the two cloaked figures. Damn, Vision muttered. We'll have to search for them. Come on. Without waiting, he set off down the rows of tents. Even in darkness their brilliant colors shone red, blue, golden, white, purple, and more. Striped, fringed with gold, and emblazoned with their occupants' heraldry, the tents were a riot of color in the darkening night. But none of them gave signs of where the two cloaked figures had gone. They prowled the rows of tents, even daring to peer into the mouths of those that were open. Many were empty, their owners still off at the night's revels while others were occupied by sleepers or servants preparing for the next day. Vision could find no sign of the cloaked men who had come down from the castle and sighed with disappointment. Yet even as he felt about to give up, a fresh breeze blew in and he turned up his nose. Hold on. Do you smell that? Adeline looked to him and pulled back the cowl of her cloak, sniffing the air. She nodded. Spice, she agreed. That will lead us to the sorcerer. 
and it did. They wound their way around a line of tents to where a great red pavilion stood in the center. From the red tent emanated the unmistakable scent of indigo spice, a sorcerer's fuel. Vision gestured for Adeline to stay back as he crept closer. No sentries stood watch, though the tent flap was pulled closed and an eerie light flickered from beneath its walls. He knelt beside the tent and peered underneath it. His vision was limited, as he looked out from beneath a cot set against the outer wall, but he could see a man that resembled one of those he had followed from the sally port. He was a tall and thin, standing in the middle of the tent and hood before a tall mirror. Of his companion, there was no sign. The man held a smoking censer before him, slowly waving it about the room while chanting softly under his breath in a strange tongue. Vision looked around the room, which was partitioned off with many shelves stacked with bowls, bottles, and jars. Some were empty, while others held strange plant cuttings or animal corpses preserved in water. A table beside the mirror was covered with tomes and scrolls, many left open as if in the middle of a search. Also on the table was an azure orb set in a silver filigreed tower, softly glowing in the dim lit of the tent's solitary brazier. Vision lowered the flap and sat back on his haunches. It was not uncommon for sorcerers to appear at tournaments, though usually they were little more than entertaining magicians. This man had come with the trappings of a powerful mage and coupled with the cloak schemers, portended something unusually sinister for the king's midsummer tournament. Within the tent, he heard the sorcerer's voice rise and bent to look under the flap again. Inside, the sorcerer had turned his back to vision, now staring intently into the mirror. The censer hung from his hand by its chain, slowly swinging to a stop, but it had been nearly forgotten by its wielder. The mirror in front of him turned dark and red clouds swirled in its depths. Vision suddenly felt a new presence, and the sorcerer bowed. Greetings, master. Vision felt a chill run up his spine. The mirror showed only dark red clouds in a void, but he had the distinct sensation of being observed. He dropped the tent flap and turned away. Princess Adeline stood next to him, and he started. She put a finger to his lips and pointed to the tent flap he had let drop. He thought to chastise her for disobeying his orders, but she knelt beside the tent flap and looked underneath, just as he had been doing. Exasperated, he knelt down again and joined her. I have given you all that you need, rumbled a voice from the mirror. It slithered like a snake, oozing from the mirror and winding its way up Vision's spine to his ears. He felt his hair stand on end and could feel the princess tense up next to him. But the sorcerer before the mirror replied unperturbed. I seek clarification on the nature of the spell cast upon my ally. The entity in the mirror seemed to laugh, a sharp scoff of derision. Your ally? You mean your pawn? The sorcerer began to protest, looking to one side to an unseen figure, but the voice in the mirror continued. You lack confidence. And yet, that is what you need. My ally must keep winning to enhance the power of his aura? The sorcerer asked. Yes, I have told you as much. Why do you trouble me for this? But winning how? What are the conditions of the spell? If he cheats in the tournament, will the spell break? Too great, angry yellow eyes flared to life in the mirror. They fixed the sorcerer in their terrible gaze and a sinister silence descended over the tent. Cheat. The voice rumbled, and Vision felt it in his bones. Don't cheat, it matters not. Those who see a winner will see a winner, 
and the aura will grow stronger. Mortals love a victor. The spell will amplify their admiration. If he wins it all, his aura will be so mighty that none will be able to resist him. Except me, the sorcerer added hopefully, and Vision thought he could see the eyes smile. Except you, the voice replied in an oily voice. That is all I needed to know. Once I have what I desire, I will fulfill our bargain. You will have your sacrifices, master. See that I do, the strange voice replied. You swore an oath, need I remind you? I will have the sacrifices, or your immortal soul. I do not need to be reminded, the sorcerer snapped. Do not think to frighten me with the price of failure, for I will not fail. So you say, the voice replied with cruel amusement. It matters little to me. I will be a victor either way. Run along now. The eyes closed and the dark clouds swirled again. The sorcerer turned away from the mirror and Vision hurriedly let the tent flap fall. He grabbed Adeline by the arm and pulled her away into the rows of tents and out of sight. What was that? She gasped when they were safely hidden. Vision shook his head. Sorcerers commune with all manner of otherworldly beings. This one may be in over his head. He was talking about an aura, a victor's aura. Have you any idea what he means? No, except that his pawn will win the tournament. Who is his pawn? I don't know, but I expect we will find out as the results come in. As the list of victors narrows, we will find his minion. Surely there must be a faster way. If we wait, it might be too late. Indeed. Let us return to the castle and see if Tilda has any other insights. Perhaps we can put our heads together and learn something new. With cautious looks over their shoulders, they slipped out of the camp and down the path toward the village, where they vanished into the crowds. With Adeline close behind, Vision wound his way through the village, back up the path to the castle and into the bailey without so much as a second look from the sentries. Inside, they navigated the less-used halls to return to the princess chambers. As they reached the spiral stairs toward her chamber, they came upon a small crowd at the bottom. Servants and lords alike were huddled together facing the stairs. Vision slowed his pace as he approached, dread creeping into his mind. He pushed aside one of the gawkers and stepped through. It was Tilda, laying at the base of the stairs with her neck crooked at an angle that instantly proved she was dead. Her feet pointed up the stairs the way she had fallen, and her arms lay splayed out at her side. The back of her head was wet with blood, and a small pool had formed beneath her where she lay. Behind him, Vision heard Adeline gasp in shock. She fell, one of the lords said. I hear her scream from the floor above, then she came banging down the stairs and end up like that. The poor woman was dead before she stopped falling. Added another. These narrow stairs can be so treacherous. Vision nodded and said nothing more. He knelt beside Tilda, looking over her head wound. Adeline moved up beside him, her cloak drawn tight about her to hide her identity. Fortunately, the other gawkers were more interested in the corpse before than in the princess incognito. Vision touched a hand to the bloody spot on Tilda's head. It was wet and fresh but had bled more than it would have had time to on the brief tumble down the stairs. Her neck was flushed as well, as if it had been throttled. There was a strange mark on her cheek, as if something had tried to take a bite out of her. Vision looked closer, touching the wound, and found it was an imprint. 
He leaned in, and someone in the crowd scoffed. It's a bit late to give the poor girl a kiss. One of the lords sneered. Mind your manners, Sarah. Vision ignored him. The imprint was round, with a raised middle that showed a tower beneath crossed lances. It was the mark of a signet ring. Someone had struck Tilda before throwing her down the stairs and left his mark on her. He suppressed a wolfish smile. He already had a suspect. Has someone sent for a priest? Vision asked, standing up from the body. The lords and ladies assembled looked about in confusion. You, find a priest and ensure this poor woman receives her last rites. This is the princess servant, and I will inform her of the accident. Without waiting for a reply, he turned and grabbed Adeline by her arm to lead her away while she was still unnoticed. The princess made no reply and numbly let herself be led away from the crowd, which returned to their chattering as they retreated from the hall. I think I know who killed her. Vision said once they were out of earshot. Adeline's eyes snapped up to his. Killed? She asked. I killed. Her head wound was fresh, but had been bleeding some time before she fell, and there is the imprint of a signet ring on her cheek. A tower beneath crossed lances. Do you recognize the sign? I think I've seen it, Adeline said dully. Her brow furrowed in thought, and Vision saw that her face had gone pale. The poor girl had been deeply shaken by her maid's sudden death. It was on the list today, but I can't recall. No worry, I know the man. Sir Dagobert de Territory, a brutish knight. Cruel enough to throw a woman down the stairs and conniving enough to traffic with a sorcerer. With his signet ring imprinted on her body, he fits the crime. Let's go pay him a visit. Vision pulled her along out of the hall, checking his dagger as they went. Underneath her cloak, Adeline carried her own knife he saw, and though it would not be much use in a proper fight, she might defend herself with it well enough. Dagobert's pitched his tent near the tournament grounds. I know the place. Should we gather others? Adeline asked. Even just your squire? Vision shook his head. Thibault was likely three cups deep by now, if he wasn't Abed with some wench. He would be no more help in a fight than the princess. Nay, princess. This is something I can do myself. Come along. Vision and Adeline passed back through the gates of the castle and approached the corner of the tournament grounds where Sir Dagobert's tent stood, sable and emblazoned with a red tower. It was a two-peaked black affair, its front flap closed and a solitary torch burning outside it. While the village was still bustling with revelers, the streets around Dagobert's tent were quiet, and Vision set Adeline against a wall before he approached. Stay here, princess. If anything goes wrong, Run to your father and tell him everything. I am going to get a closer look. Perhaps I might uncover others of his plot. Adeline nodded numbly and pulled her cloak tight around her. In the shadow of the village's cider house, she could be anyone. Anyone except a princess. Vision smiled and patted the dagger on his belt for reassurance. I will be right back. He crept up to the tent and positioned himself just below one of its windows. From inside, he could hear voices, and he overturned a nearby crate to raise himself high enough to look inside. There were two men at the table inside, conferring over goblets of wine. The first had his back to vision, but he knew the broad shoulders and balding putte to be that of Sir Dagobert. The other was Baron Tancred de Ville, a lord sworn to Duke Sigismund.
It was just a stroke of luck that we saw her, Dagobert was saying. The baron held his goblet before him and fixed his companion with a skeptical eye. You're sure it was the same woman from the cellars? I, replied Dagobert. I got a good look at her as she ran. She won't be telling anyone what she saw. It's been hours since the meeting in the cellars. Who knows who she has told by now? And we can't go leaving bodies everywhere in a royal castle. Don't worry about it. Everyone will think she slipped and fell on the stairs. Between these narrow stairs and the long skirts ladies are wearing, it was bound to happen soon enough, even if we didn't help her along. Now calm down, stable your horses again, and have a drink. Everything will turn out all right. Unless you lose your nerve and go running off in the middle of the night. That might raise some suspicions. The baron chewed his lip and rubbed his chin. It would likely be safer for me to find somewhere else to be while this all plays out. Nay, Dagobert thumped his fist on the table. If you leave now, people might think you had something to do with the dead maid. Just act natural, and everyone will play along. You still have a part to play in all this. The baron sighed and set his goblet down. I still wish you had never told me about the spy. It would be much easier to act natural if I thought everyone was going according to plan. Think of the rewards, Sir Dagobert urged. Your land disputes will be resolved in your favor, your children will marry higher, and you will sit on the king's privy council. Baron Tancred smiled cautiously. That all sounds most enticing. He agreed. You have steadied my nerves, and for that I thank you. I have many other concerns that I would like addressed as well. Perhaps we could discuss them now, before the joust tomorrow? Vision turned away at a sound. A group of rough-looking men had rounded the corner of the building against which Adeline crouched, and one of them had taken a liking to her. The princess hid herself within the folds of her cloak as the men gathered round, and Vision grimaced. He looked from the men to the plotters and back. One of the men stopped and looked to him. What are you doing? The man growled, his words slurring heavily with drink. Vision hopped down from the crate and headed straight for Adeline. Yeah, another man joined in. What are you doing looking in the window of a tent? The other stopped, torn between Adeline and Vision, and shuffled about in confusion. Vision exploited the opportunity to cut through the mass of them and reach the princess. We should leave he whispered harshly, and she nodded. Vision turned to do just that, only to find his path blocked by a broad-chested man with his hands on his hips. Where do you think you're going? The man snarled. Apologies, sir. My sister and I are just headed back to our tent. I'm not looking for trouble. The big man stepped closer, towering a head over Vision. He stank of drink like his fellows but his great size had apparently given him the strength to remain sober. He shook a balled-up fist in Vision's face. Well, it happens that you found trouble. The man in the tent pays us to watch out for him. And he doesn't like people snooping. Vision frowned. These men were certainly not high-quality muscle, but there were enough of them to make themselves a danger. His hand began to drift toward the dagger at his belt. Sir, this is a festive occasion. There's no need for anyone to get hurt. Oh, demanded another man, this one sober as well. But I like hurting people. It's my kind of festive occasion. I, sneered a third. And your sister there is a pretty one. 
That's my idea of a festive occasion, growled the big man. Good drink, then crack some skulls with my mates and pass a pretty wench around between us to come down. What do you say to that? Vision tore the dagger from his belt and stabbed it into the man's chest. He cried out and staggered back. Blood bubbled forth from his chest, soaking his tunic. Vision did not wait to see if he would survive. With Adeline's hand in his, he ran. They burst from the knot of ruffians at a run, and shouts followed them. Vision did not look back, but heard the enraged cries and heavy footfalls behind him. Pulling the princess along with him, he ran for the edge of the camp. Three more men appeared before him, and Vision skidded to a halt. Adeline crashed into him again, wrapping her arms around him to keep from toppling. The three men looked to Aranther in confused surprise, the bloody dagger still in his hand. Stop them! came the cry from behind, and one of the men before him reached for his sword belt. Vision turned and ran from them as well, and the camp seemed to come alive around him. With no time to think, he barreled through a laundry line, the ropes and clothes nearly ensnaring him but doing more to entangle his drunken pursuers. He spared a look back, and saw a furious gaggle of men waving knives, clubs, and other weapons at him from across the launderer's yard. They were fast untangling themselves. This way! Adeline cried, and pulled him along for a change. They broke through another line of tents, their pursuers' cries growing louder behind them, and fled across an empty field. The shouts grew closer, and Vision ran hand in hand with the princess, hoping the field was entirely flat. Ahead of them, he saw the darkness grow deeper. They were headed toward the woods. Tall oaks loomed before them in the darkness, but Vision found himself driven beneath their boughs by the shouts from behind. He and the princess darted past the well-maintained border of the forest and turned to look back. Their pursuers had fanned out, though never more than two arms pans from each other. Two of them held torches aloft, while the rest readied various instruments of violence. Of the man Vision had stabbed, there was no sign. Come on out of there, one of the men roared. To his left, his companion with a torch swayed drunkenly in the night breeze. Should we fight? Adeline asked in a whisper. They look quite drunk. No, I have only this dagger and, drunk or not, there are quite a few of them. These woods hold little danger by themselves, though they seem afraid to enter. Do you know your way around here? The princess shook her head. Every time I come in here, I do so in the company of dozens of servants, the king's huntsmen, and hounds. And I've never been in after dark. At least the king's wardens keep the ground clear for the horses. Vision muttered. My greatest fear in a darkened forest is tripping over a root and ending up lame. The men in the field shouted for them to come out again. Vision looked in the opposite direction. Come on. They're mustering their courage and will be in after us soon enough. We should use this time to make ourselves scarce. And then what? demanded Adeline, her blue eyes wide. Where are we to go? Away from the castle. Then we can double back once they've lost interest or in the morning. You won't be missed for long, and once the king's knights find us, those thugs won't dare raise a hand to you. Adeline nodded and cast a worried look toward the ruffians just beyond the forest's edge. She pulled her cloak tight around herself and they set off in the other direction, heading deeper into the woods. Twice, Vision looked back to see the ruffians' torches, close enough that he knew they had entered the woods to look for them. 
He did not inform the princess, who already seemed worried enough. They headed on and the air grew colder and wetter until Vision heard raindrops landing on the leaves above them. The rain at first fell in a gentle shower, but grew heavier until he heard the distant rumble of thunder. Adeline stopped. We must find somewhere to shelter ourselves until this rain passes. I don't want to catch cold and die out here. Vision sighed. The princess cloak would serve her well if they could find a tree to stand beneath, but he was in for a wet night. He made to say something, but through the darkened wood he spotted the warm glow of a light. It was in the direction they had been walking, and a look behind him showed no signs of their pursuers. The princess was examining the hollow of a leaning oak when he stopped her. Look there, he said. A light in this rain must be a house of some kind. And someone is home. What if they come looking for us there? She asked, casting a look behind to where their pursuers had last been heard. Then we will likely have a stout door between us and them. But I think they've turned in for the night. The rain will likely have doused their torches, and they weren't dressed for the wet. Very well. She sighed, and Vision led her forward. The light, they soon learned, was a candle burning in the window of a small gameskeeper's lodge. Empty cages lay out front and a tanning rack stood near the door. The house was small and simple, with a tall peaked roof of thatch and wattle and daub walls that shone white in the dark night. Vision hurried to the door and knocked loudly. After a long pause, the door cracked open and an old, worn face peered out at him. I. Who's that there? Apologies for the intrusion, good master. I am Sir Vision de Surak, and this is my sister Adeline. We were out for a stroll and got caught in this storm. Might we ask your hospitality for the night? The man frowned and opened the door wider to look at the princess. Sister, eh? She don't look much like you. We have different mothers. Vision tried to explain, but the man shrugged. Oh, it's none of my business. Plenty of young couples out in the woods during a tournament like this. Come on and out of the rain. I won't have anybody freezing to death on my doorstep. His majesty would be having none of that, no sir. Vision gladly rushed through the open door with Adeline as the man continued to ramble on. His majesty's grandfather set aside these woods for hunting deer. But when there's a tournament on, there's knights all over the forest with their lances hunting for another kind of flesh. Ha! I won't be getting in your way, good sir. You and the fair dame can have the loft. It's nice and cozy up there. Unless you'd rather have the place by the fire? The loft will be fine, good master. We'll be off as soon as the rain abates. I've a spot in the list tomorrow morning. Well then good luck to you, sir. And to you, my lady, good fortune as well. He gave Vision a sideways look. And be sure you know what you're getting into. I was a young lad myself once. I know every kind of them there is. I am Pepin. If you need anything, just call. He turned and went back to his hearth, where the fire was roaring despite the rain outside. The lodge was a single room on the first floor, with a large stone hearth and racks of hunting trophies. Against one wall sat a row of unstrung bowstaves over sheaves of arrows. Their host, Pepin, sat himself down before the fire and picked up a whittling knife and a half-made arrow. Whistling as he worked, he returned to his task of fletching without another look at them. Vision gave Adeline a shrug and led her up the ladder to the loft. 
The princess lay herself down on the bed and Vision took the floor. He removed his wet cloak and surcoat and lay himself down against the loft's railing. Sir Vision, the princess began softly. I, I wanted to thank you for your aid in this tonight. Think nothing of it, your highness, he replied. It is my duty as a knight of the order and a loyal subject of your father. Still, I must thank you all the same. Vision rolled over to look at her. She had moved to the opposite side of the bed, leaving a space beside her where he might join her. The princess looked to him, then to the empty space and blushed. Adeline swept the covers over it and rolled over, putting her back to him as she wrapped herself in the bedsheets. You are welcome, princess. Good night. Smiling to himself, Vision pulled his cloak tight about himself and fell asleep dawn came slowly through the forest canopy. But when Vision rose, he found Pepin and Adeline already eating before the hearth. The storm had abetted during the night, though the air was still thick and wet. Welcome, Sir Vision, Pepin bid him, holding out a bowl of fried eggs. Vision took it eagerly for he only now realized that their adventures in the forest the night before had left him no time to eat. Adeline ate in silence, though she kept raising her head to look at Vision, only to look away and blush whenever he returned her state. Pepin smiled to himself. When he was finished, the warden stood up and took a bow staff and string from the wall. I'm off to tend to the forest, he announced. I thought I heard a tree fall in the storm and it won't do for one of these lords' horses to go tripping over it. I bid you two a good day. They returned his salutation, and he bowed and went out the door. Vision and the princess were left alone. Sir Vision, she started hesitantly. About last time. Did you sleep well? He cut her off. No, well. I did, but that's not what I wanted to say. I, princess, do not worry about it. I am a knight of the order. I would not take advantage of a lady, especially one as royal as you. Think of it no more. Now come along, we must be back to the tournament before anyone misses us. Adeline nodded and set aside her bowl. They gathered what few things they had brought and left the lodge straight away. Outside was a narrow, muddy path that led back to the main road after winding through the king's woods. They traveled in silence hearing only the rain dripping from the leaves and distant birds chirping. They could not be more than two miles from the tournament grounds, but Vision felt as if he were deep in the Dalamari forest, a hundred leagues from even the smallest village. Soon enough, they rejoined the main road where carts and packhorses trundled in either direction. The appetites of the king and his guests required the whole region to work as one to sate them, and barrels of wine, cider, salted meat— and other foodstuffs filled the wagons even as emptied casks were carried away after a night of revelry. Vision and Adeline fell in behind a peddler's cart, just two unassuming travelers on the road filled with people who spared them not a second glance. Back at the tournament grounds, Vision went straight to his tent with Adeline in tow. Thibault sat outside, dutifully polishing the frog-mouthed helm. Upon seeing Vision, he stood up with a start. Where have you been? he demanded looking past Vision to the princess in her deep cowled cloak. Oh, no. Calm down, Thibault. It's not what you think. I have much to tell you about the intrigues that are going on beneath our noses. Intrigue is all well and good, but you have to ride early in the list this morning and time is running out. I was afraid you would forfeit. 
perish the thought, Vision replied. Who am I tilting against? Baron Tantra de Ville, Thibault replied, and Vision started. He has fared well enough so far, though he is usually not a strong contender. Thibault turned and saw Vision's expression. What is it? We had better go inside, Vision replied, and the three of them ducked into his tent. It was a small affair, for he was a mere knight-errant depending on the magnanimity of the king and the order, but it suited him and his squire well enough. They seated themselves on his traveling chests while he and Adeline informed Thibault of what they had discovered the night before. Thibault sat in silence until they were done. Who is this sorcerer's pawn? he asked at last. And how can we stop him? We don't know, but the first step will be to stop him from winning the tournament. If we break his aura of invincibility, we break the spell. Then he is just a man. But how do we break his aura of invincibility? Is the spell making him a better fighter, or is it just making it seem that he is a better fighter? That I also do not know. But I do know that the Baron is involved. Could he be the sorcerer's pawn? Perhaps, though he seemed deferential to Sir Dagobert. Vision mused. But he must be removed from the board, as it were. How will you do that if he cannot be beaten? Anyone can be beaten, Vision replied. I just have to find out how to do it. Baron Tancred has done well so far, but he should be easy to defeat for someone like you. Unless he is the sorcerer's pawn, Adeline countered. Would that my father kept a sorcerer of his own, but he has never liked their kind. Who else could be the pawn? Sir Dagobert? There may be other plotters. Vision sighed. They mentioned someone else, but I do not know whom. It may have just been the sorcerer. Or there might be many more. Thibault countered. This plot is more extensive than we know, and we are walking in largely blind. We must disrupt it then, the princess put in. We must force them to change their plans. Defeating the baron in a joust would do that. Vision replied. But they may have planned for that. We need to reduce the size of this conspiracy. It may cause other plotters to change their plans and expose themselves. You want me to kill him? Vision asked, somewhat incredulously. Adeline started in surprise. What? No. Never. But a tournament is a dangerous thing. If we could deal him some wound that might put him up in bed for a few days— even just an afternoon, it might hamstring the conspiracy. This is the last day. They must succeed now or else it will all come to naught. Wound the Baron. Vision mused. He disliked the thought. Injuries and even deaths were always risks in these tournaments, but he hated to be the cause of them and had never so far been the cause of one. But the stakes were high here. Even if you defeat him, he is still in play. Thibault added. He might not be the scheme's linchpin and then it matters not if we defeat him. And he did not show much concern when he heard about Tilda's death, did he? Adeline asked darkly. Vision shook his head. No, he did not. I would rather do this to Sir Dagobert, but fortune has not fallen entirely to my liking. Nonetheless, I see the wisdom in what you say. You will do it? Adeline asked. It should be no trouble at all for a knight like you. You stand to lose much, Thibault said with rising concern. They'll erase your name from the lists if they think you did it deliberately. Then I must make it look like an accident. 
and perhaps I could count on a good word in the king's ear? He looked to Adeline, who nodded nervously. I will say what I can, but please make it look accidental. I only have so much sway. I will do my best. Though now I feel like we are plotters as well. We do what we have to. Adeline replied. Thibault did not seem convinced, but kept his tongue still. If I have to. Vision sighed. Adeline nodded solemnly and stood up. I must return to my chambers and prepare. She moved toward the exit. Your Highness. Vision caught the princess at the tent entrance. Before you go, I wondered if you might do me the honor of letting me wear your favor in the lists. Adeline bit her lower lip to contain her giddy smile as she considered his request. From underneath her cowl, she looked up at him with clear blue eyes and wrapped her arms about her chest. You wish to wear my favor? She asked, her cheeks turning rosy. I do indeed, Vision replied. Knights fare better when jousting on behalf of a lady. And there is no lady fairer than you. Her cheeks now turned scarlet, and Adeline shyly cast her eyes to the ground. Behind him, Vision could almost hear Thibault's eyes rolling inside his head. I would be honored. Adeline replied, idly playing with a lock of hair as she avoided his gaze. Hold out your hand, she said as she drew an embroidered scarf from her pocket. Vision obeyed. May it bring you good fortune and victory. She giggled as she tied it about his wrist. I've never given a knight my favor before. She continued. Her eyes turned up into his again, and she convulsed with excitement. I won't disappoint. Vision replied. I intend to win this tournament, and hope that your favor will carry me the rest of the way. The princess giggled again, her shoulders shaking as she struggled to contain her excitement. I must go now. She said softly, still hesitating to tear herself away. I must dress the part of a princess, and that takes time. Look for me in the royal box. I will. Vision replied. Now go, princess. I will do your favor no disgrace out there. Giddily, Adeline hurried away through the increasingly crowded tournament grounds with a skip in her step. Vision smiled as he watched her go, then turned to preparing for the joust. He had time before he was to report to the lists, yet he wasted none in armoring and arming himself. He donned a coat of mail that hung to his knees, then choses, mittens, and a heavy iron cuirass to protect his chest from lance heads, for even blunted they could kill a man by sheer force. He strapped on his longsword in its scabbard. While useless in the joust, the tournament rules allowed for the possibility of a tiebreaker round, to be fought on foot with weapons of choice. At last, he took the decorated frog-mouthed helm from Thibault and settled it upon his head. Thibault retrieved Vision's borrowed charger from the stable and brought it to him. Working together, they saddled the beast and laid upon it the caparison emblazoned with the order's coat arms. Vision made one final check of his equipment before he swung himself into the saddle. All right, he proclaimed. I am ready to begin. Sir Vision, Thibault began before he could ride off. Don't do anything foolish with the princess, assuming you haven't already. We don't need the king's wrath coming down on us for interfering with his daughter. Always the pessimist, Thibault, Vision chided airily. There is nothing to worry about. The princess has already resisted my charms. I am sure she can do so again. Resisted? You already tried something? I tried nothing. 
I can't be helped if my natural charm sometimes makes women want me to come to bed with them. But worry no more. Whatever happens, she will be all right with it. It's not her opinion I'm worried about, Thibault replied darkly. His majesty is a most wise and noble king, but he has a fiery temper and is most protective of his children. The princess can keep a secret, Vision replied. Now go, I have a tilt to win. Vision rode to the staging area until the heralds called for him. There, he watched as several other knights rode and were unhorsed. Sir Dagobert was first, seemingly undisturbed by the murder the prior night. He unhorsed Countess Tyburn's sworn sword, Sir Joffre de Gazer. The crowd roared with delight, the stands thunderously shaking under the beating of feet and raucous applause. The pitch was still muddy from the night's rains, despite the best efforts of the royal groundskeepers, and those unhorsed were left splattered with mud in a most undignified manner. Angry and wiping mud from his surcoat and visor, Sir Joffre stalked from the pitch without a word, leaving his squire to retrieve his horse. Sir Dagobert is the victor, the judge proclaimed. For the next tilt, Sir Vision de Surac, a knight-errant of the Order of the Griffin, and Baron Tantred de Ville. At the opposite end of the pitch, Vision saw the Baron ride into view. He was mounted on a tall white destrier, caparisoned in a snow-white cloth emblazoned with a black lion rampant. At the herald's signals, both riders spurred their steeds forward and emerged into the lists, hoofs squelching in the mud. The crowd roared with delight again and Vision raised a hand to give them a wave. He twirled his lance point in the breeze, letting Adeline's favor flutter about like a pennant. He espied the princess at her father's side again, resplendent in a gown of deep blue trimmed with white and a pointed henan wrapped in ivy vines atop her head. A constellation of jewels glittered on her breast, exposed by a low-cut, lacy bodice. She smiled giddily as he rode out onto the muddy pitch, her white hands applauding furiously. A different maid sat beside her, her demeanor stiff and unfamiliar. She gave the princess a suspicious look as Vision stopped before the royal box. The king gave both Justas a grandiose nod and spoke. Welcome to you both. I congratulate you on your success so far and will commiserate with the loser and congratulate the victor when it is finished. The winner of this tilt will ride in the final tilt for a chance to be crowned grand champion. Now let us see who is blessed by the gods today. Let the tilt begin. Count Theobald stood up in his pulpit and signaled the Justers. Brass trumpets blared, and Vision gave the king one last nod. His eyes swept over Princess Adeline as he turned away, and she bit her lower lip to contain her smile. Vision rode to take his place and spotted Countess Tyburge in the stands. She was flanked by a pair of handsome young knights, both of whom Vision recognized as victors earlier in the tournament. She smiled and raised her wine goblet in salute to him as he rode by. He gave her a nod and returned her smile, though she likely could not see it under his helm. The thought of deliberately injuring Tancred sprang again into his head, and he racked his mind for alternative options as he took his place at the far end of the pitch. The baron gave him a nod of acknowledgement, though he showed no signs of recognizing Vision from the previous night. Vision smiled grimly underneath his helm and signaled his readiness to the heralds. Count Theobald raised his arms above his head. We are ready to begin. Heralds! Two flags were raised at either end of the pitch, and the crowd quieted to a murmur. Vision gritted his teeth. The flags fell. 
He spurred his destrier forward and the horse surged to a gallop straight away. Gripping the reins in his shield hand, Vision lowered his lance into position, Princess Adeline's embroidered scarf fluttering from it as he thundered down the lists. The crowd began to chatter and cheer. Somewhere over the din of clattering armor and beating hooves, he thought he could hear Adeline calling out to him. The baron was a rapidly growing figure through the narrow vision slit of his helm, and Vision steadied his lance head amid the rising and falling motion in the saddle. I am going to do it, he heard himself say inside his head, or perhaps he had actually said it in the cavernous space of his helm. He steeled himself for the dishonorable act, thinking not of himself but of the sinister plot targeted at his king. As the two riders closed, he let his lance begin to waver. The last yards fell away and he dipped his lance at the last moment, driving the blunted head into the baron's left knee. They came together in a great crash, and he heard the baron cry out amid it all. Their lances shattered, his own shield splintered, and the baron teetered in his saddle. Vision himself was shaken by the blow, and only by twisting his body and digging in his heels did he remain in the saddle. He heard the crowd gasp in shock rising to their feet as the two riders came apart, and the horses slowed to a trot. As they separated, Vision heard the baron cry out in pain once again, then a great crash of armor and wood as he fell through the wooden barrier between the opposing sides. Now concerned that he had done greater damage than planned, Vision turned his horse about. Everyone in the royal box was standing, crowded close to the rail out of concern for the fallen baron. Near where they had come together, Princess Adeline's favor lay in the muddy dirt. Vision sighed. The crowd had fallen nearly silent as the king's servants emerged to help Baron Tancred up. He was unable to put any weight on his injured knee, which could now be seen to bleed, and the heralds were forced to call for stretchers to bear him away. Count Theobald leaned in to confer with the king. Behind them, Adeline and her maids huddled together while the king's brother glowered from his seat. Murmurs rippled through the crowd and he felt the stare of thousands of eyes on him at once. The tourney judge turned to him and pointed to the ground before the royal seats. Guilt weighing heavily on him, Vision slowly spurred his horse forward to stand before the royal box. Sir Vision, the count began, your competitor is injured by your lance. How do you explain this? I apologize to you, to him and to his majesty for allowing such an unfortunate incident in the midst of all these grandiose festivities that he has arranged for us. I was careless with my lance point, and let it fall to the baron's knee. It was a mere accident, yet I am a knight of the Order of the Griffin and have no excuse for this carelessness. The punishment for injuring a competitor is to be erased from the lists, Duke Sigismund declared from his seat. Count Theobald did not turn around but many other heads turned toward the duke who sat with a balled-up fist on his armrest. And to be expelled from the tournament grounds straight away. That is the punishment for deliberately injuring a competitor, Theobald replied loudly. Sir Vision insists this was an accident. It was no accident, the duke hissed. We are all experienced juicers. We can all see that he aimed for the baron's knee. Let the judge make his decision, Sigismund the king said quietly enough to not be overheard by the far ends of the lists, but still loud enough for Vision and many others to overhear. That is why he is there, to be the judge. Your judge is a fool if he believes that, the duke snapped. And I am no fool, Theobald added. Sir Vision, 
I find it hard to believe that you, a night long seasoned by both battle and tournaments, could make such a novice error with your lance. I had a long night last night, my lord, Vision replied with as much fatigue in his voice as he could muster, and perhaps more to drink than I thought I had. Indeed, Theobald replied, unconvinced. Count Theobald, if I may interrupt? Princess Adeline stepped forward to stand by the judge's side. I know Sir Vision's reputation, and it speaks strongly to his defense. He would never deliberately wound another competitor. I am aware of his reputation as well, your highness. While either malice nor incompetence are among his qualities, the evidence speaks toward malice more strongly. Be reasonable, my lord, pleaded the princess. It was a careless mistake, nothing more. Theobald chewed the thought over, then bent to confer with his deputy. Their whispered conversation dragged on, all the while Vision felt the crowd's eyes on him. He looked up to Adeline, and the princess gave him a hopeful shrug. Vision sighed. It was now in the hands of the gods. At last, Theobald raised his head from the conference and returned to the railing of his pulpit. I find your defense convincing enough, he announced, and Vision breathed a sigh of relief. However, your negligence was appalling. Whatever the cost the baron will incur among his healers will be borne by you, as well as any repairs to his armor or replacement of his horse. Vision winced. The horse was likely unharmed, but the armor repairs would be expensive. But he would be allowed to continue on in the tournament, and then kept his chances of defeating the sorcerer's plot alive, so he considered it a win. Now, the count continued, You have earned a place in the final tilt so go forth and rest up. Vision bowed in the saddle. Thank you for your understanding, my lord. I will not disappoint again. Thibault appeared from the staging area to collect his helm and lead his horse. Vision made to hand over his helm, but spotted Adeline's scarf lying in the mud. With a discreet gesture, he directed Thibault to retrieve it for him, then dismounted and made their way out of the lists with the crowd's stairs hot on his back. That was a close one, Thibault muttered under his breath as they returned to the staging area. Of course, now that you got away with it, I expect you to continue ignoring my warnings in the future. Of course, Vision replied with a slap on his squire's back. It's gotten us this far, why stop now? Thibault rolled his eyes and sighed. Vision put his arm around the squire's shoulder. But you weren't wrong, it was a risk. But I felt it needed to be taken. With Tancred injured, the plotters will have to change their plan and that opens them up to making a mistake. We still don't know if he was even a major part of their plan, Thibault protested. They exited the lists to find themselves back in the staging area surrounded by other knights preparing to joust. Some looked down on Vision with disdain, others refused to meet his gaze at all. Only a few looked on him with pity for what they saw as an honest mistake that might befall any of them. Vision avoided their gazes feigning shame long enough to gather his things and leave. Once out on the mostly deserted streets of the tournament grounds, he let himself lighten up. Hungry? he asked Thibault, and his squire sighed. It's a bit early for lunch, but I need something to take my mind off that mess. Come on, there's a vendor who sells chicken drumsticks doused in this spicy pepper sauce from the south. You'll love it. Thibault sighed as he realized he had no choice but to follow and they headed for the vendor's stall. They found it in a row of food stalls, 
each one awash in mouth-watering aromas that mingled together to form a heady scent that only made him hungrier, no doubt an intentional effect. They bought a bowl of five drumsticks each and seated themselves at benches in the middle of the row. Without hesitation, Vision bit into one. The sauce was delicious and the meat tender. It stung his mouth and fingers as he ate, though the merchant insisted they would develop a resistance to it over time. Vision cared little, for he found his money well spent and his food to his liking. Thibault shared his opinion, based on how eagerly he dug into his own bowl. This is divine. He managed around a mouthful. Where is this spice from? Overseas somewhere, Vision replied. I know not where, but it was imported at great cost. Only the king's tournament could attract such delicacies. Vision's horse edged closer, its nose sniffing at the strange scents. He raised the drumstick to his stallion's nose and it sniffed instinctively, only to snort in surprise and turn away. It reared back and shook its head, snorting violently at the spicy sauce. Vision laughed as he caught the animal's reins and steadied it with soft words. We're lucky to have borrowed this one, Thibault remarked around another bite. Don't touch your eyes, Vision cautioned. The sauce on your fingers will burn them too. Thibault stopped in the middle of reaching to wipe his nose and grabbed for a cloth instead. So now that you're through to the final round, what next? He asked. Win it, I suppose. Did I ever intend to do anything else? I don't yet know who I will face, but whoever it is, it must be the sorcerer's pawn, unless the plan has already failed. Or unless you are the sorcerer's pawn, Thibault pointed out. Have you considered that? I have not, Vision conceded. Though I thought I would know if I was under the sorcerer's spell. And I don't know what I would do with the power he has given me. What power is that? He said to the voice in the mirror that the spell would be irresistible if his pawn won at all. I like the sound of irresistible. Thibault smiled, but Vision had to frown. I don't think he meant irresistible to the ladies. Though it's unnecessary. Thibault teased. You already have the fairest lady in the realm fawning all over you. Vision felt himself blush. She's just grateful that I helped her. He replied. Very grateful. Thibault replied. Grateful enough to let you into her bed, where you could be found by her father's knights and dealt with severely. Always the pessimist. Vision laughed. I'll not be beheaded or exiled for bedding the princess. I will simply not bed the princess. So you say, Thibault muttered darkly. But I know you. Forget sorcerers, you find pretty women irresistible. Stick to fucking the countess, at least she's a widow with no man watching over her. Tybridge is not a jealous woman. She won't object to other women in my bed. Sometimes she likes to share. I wouldn't know, Thibault grumbled. I always have to wait outside. Though there are fortunately many opportunities at these events for a young, handsome squire in the service of a famous knight. Indeed. What were you up to last night while the princess and I were sneaking about? Thibault smiled. I was also sneaking about with one of Duke Sigismund's maids. A pretty little thing with red hair and big tits. I found her at the feast and snuck her off to the cellars for some fun. When I left, her big tits were all covered in cum. Then I don't feel guilty for leaving you out while I met with the countess. Vision replied, You always find someone at these. A different woman every night. 
That is not to say that you are forgiven for keeping the countess to yourself. Vision snorted as he bit into another chicken drumstick. I keep nothing. Tybridge beds who she wants, and you are sadly too low-born. Did you see the two knights she was sitting with just now? They will likely be in her bed before the next tilt has even started. She could at least let me in to watch. Thibault grumbled. I'm sure some of her maids would be willing to entertain me. The countess thinks her company rarefied, I'm afraid. Not for the likes of squires. Then forget it. Thibault sighed. But what are you going to do about this plot you've gotten yourself into? What if the baron's conspirators are as unconvinced by your accident as most of the crowd was? Aren't you afraid that they'll come looking for you? I suppose. Vision conceded. He had finished his chicken and pushed aside the bowl, his lips still burning from the sauce. We will have to keep our eyes open. And watch over the horse. I won't have anyone setting me up to take a fall. I always do. But now that you've disrupted their plan, what will you do to exploit their confusion? Vision sighed. I expect that the once the final tilt is set, we will know the identity of our enemy. Who is still left in the tournament? More than a few. The other slate of competitors is just getting underway, so it might be hours before we know. I don't want to just sit around waiting until then. Let's go by the sorcerer's tent and see if we can discover anything. They rose, turned their bowls back to the merchant, and headed off through the campground to where the sorcerer's tent lay. Vision handed the reins to Thibault at a safe distance. Wait here, I'm going to get a closer look. Thibault sighed but did not protest. Vision cast furtive looks about the nearly empty campground and then headed for the sorcerer's tent. It looked more imposing in the daylight, and taller than he had remembered. He crept around to the back and lifted the flap to peer inside. There was no sign of anyone. He poked his head underneath the tent and looked around. The interior was deserted. Vision dropped to his knees and crawled inside, hearing Thibault's disapproving remarks in his mind all the while. Standing up on the inside, he immediately noticed the strong and unmistakable scent of indigo spice, which pervaded the area outside the tent but became almost overwhelming inside it. He went first to the sorcerer's desk. Where the previous night it had been covered with scrolls and tomes, it was now cleanly squared away with the tomes stacked in one corner and the scrolls racked beside the table. Only a single letter lay open on the surface, and Vision studied it carefully. He had heard tales of writing infused with magic that would trap or ensorcel those who read it. The letter seemed mundane enough, however. It was written curtly in a sharp hand. Your request for additional resources cannot be fulfilled at this time, but it is imperative that we secure additional muscle. Borrow heavily if you must, the royal treasury will soon be at your disposal to repay debts. Everything depends on the plan succeeding. Spare no expense and ensure no more spies are snooping around. By tonight, we will be powerful men indeed, and your soul will be safe. It was inside. Vision frowned. He looked around the tent, wondering if any more clues might be hidden somewhere. Several heavy trunks lay around the room, locked and engraved with what looked to be sorcerous wards. He decided against opening any for fear of being turned into a frog, or worse. His attention returned to the letter. The ink was still wet. It must have just been delivered, after the baron's injury. So, they needed the baron after all, he mused. The plan is disrupted, 
but not defeated, as I suspected. However, they are still confident of their success. With a shrug of his shoulders, he crawled back out of the tent and returned to Tebow. Anything new? the squire asked. They are looking to borrow money for new allies, but confident of their success, and I have no clues as to who might be plotting, or where. Not all bad, then. Let's get back to the tent. Maybe some of the other knights here will be willing to help us. As they returned to their tent, a great cheer went up from the tournament stands. Someone was just unhorsed, Vision remarked, and at the hands of a crowd favorite. Should I head over and find out who? Thibault asked, but Vision stopped in sight of their tent. Look, what's this? Outside their tent waited a serving woman who Vision had seen sitting behind Princess Adeline before the tournament. She hurried up to them as they approached. Sir Vision, she cried. Her Highness asked me to bring you a message. What is it? he replied, handing his horse's reins to Thibault along with his heavy frog-mouthed helm. She thinks the baron's squire is up to something and went to follow him. Alone? Vision gasped in alarm. Where? When? We followed him to the inn in the village, and then she sent me to find you. Please go to her at once. I fear she's in over her head. As you wish, my lady. Vision replied. Here, take care of my horse and helm while I am gone. We won't be long. He handed over his heavy helm and the horses before to the princess maid, then he and Thibault set off toward the village again, hurrying their pace out of concern for the princess. Vision kept a hand on his sword pommel as he walked, eyes searching for trouble around every corner. Yet the final slate of competitors in the list had drawn all the people of the castle and village as spectators, and the streets were deserted. They approached the inn unnoticed. Sword in hand, Vision pushed open the front door. The inside was cold, dark, and deserted. He stepped inside with Thibault following. The benches had been upturned onto the tables and the windows shuttered. Behind the inn's bar, the cabinets were shut and latched, and the doors to the back rooms were closed. They must all be at the tournament. Thibault whispered. There's no one here. Perhaps upstairs. Vision suggested and they began to slowly make their way across the floor toward the stairs until Vision stopped and held up a hand. Listen. He hissed, and they paused. The faint sound of voices reached their ears. Vision crept toward the source of the sound, but to his surprise, it was coming from below. He carefully bent to peer through a knothole in the floor. In the cellar stood the sorcerer, pacing about the room in conversation with an unseen plotter. We cannot let her leave he said with a shake of his head. From the depths of the cellar came the reply. We will not. She will remain here until the tournament is ended, then we will decide what to do with you, your highness. Vision grimaced. He looked to the door to the back room and signaled Thibault forward. Below, the voice carried on speaking. I am sorry, dear Adeline, but this plan has consumed too much time and money for me to abandon it on your behalf. It will succeed and there is nothing you can do to stop it. Vision heard a muffled cry of protest, which he recognized as Adeline. But the speaker's voice he also found familiar, though he struggled to place it. Philderic, continued the speaker, and the sorcerer turned toward him. Find this knight, Sir Vision, and slip him something. When I reach the final tilt, I won't have anything standing in my way. Of course, 
the sorcerer replied with a slight bow. You need only to deliver the final victory and the spell will become unstoppable. The kingdom will be yours to command. The sorcerer stepped back and away, and the his co-conspirator stepped into view. I can hardly wait. Unlike my brother, I am no fool, Duke Sigismund hissed. He pulled on his male mittens, already armored for the joust, and straightened his surcoat. Squire, we make for the tournament grounds. Dagobert, stay here and guard my dear nosy niece. I have a tilt to win. He swept out of view and vision rose from the floor as quickly as he dared. He heard the exterior door to the cellar bang open and saw Thibault ready his sword. No, he hissed. Let him leave. We must save the princess first, then we can worry about the joust. What about the sorcerer? demanded Thibault. How are we going to deal with him? I don't know, Vision admitted, but we must let the Duke leave before we confront them. He crept to the window and peered out. The Duke marched away in the direction of the tournament grounds with great purpose, trailed by two squires. His chin was held high and shoulders set. His gait was measured, strong, and quick. The sorcerer's spell was working, for he seemed to radiate authority with the squires following servilely in silence. Vision was sure that, if there had been a crowd in his way, it would have parted before him. All right, he whispered at last. They're gone. Now it's just Sir Dagobert and the sorcerer, Thibault replied acidly. Have you thought up a plan yet? Charging in isn't a plan? asked Vision. Thibault sighed. I'm only joking, of course. We'll lure him out. He's supposed to slip me something, after all. Here, go hide yourself by the door. Thibault did as ordered and Vision quietly retreated to the inn's front door. With a loud bang, he threw it open. Princess! He shouted. It's Sir Vision. What are you doing here when there's a tournament on? Straining his ears, he could hear hushed whispers in the cellar. They hissed back and forth before going silent again. Princess? He called again. Are you in here? The cellar door banged open again and Vision heard footsteps outside. The door creaked open slowly and in hobbled a fat innkeeper in a dirty apron. Sir? He mumbled. Begging your pardon, sir, but there's no princess heir. I'd rightly now, I think. But perhaps I can get you something to drink? To drink? Vision echoed. He strode confidently forward, his nose in the air and his notice fixed well above a lowly innkeep. He detected faint smell of spice and suppressed a smile. Sarah, I am looking for a princess. What swill might you have in this ramshackle establishment that would attract one of royal blood? Oh, I have many drinks, Sir Knight. No swill air, except for the stuff I serve to the riffraff, eh? He gave Vision a sly wink and they both laughed. Air, Sir Knight. Sit yourself down and have a glass. Maybe your royal princess is just running late. You know how women are. Oh, that I do, Vision replied. He thumped himself down on a barstool and laid his mailed forearms on the bar. In the room behind, Thibault lurked just behind the door, peering out through a crack. Vision again suppressed a smile, this one hungry like a wolf's. The innkeep bumbled about the bar for a spell, searching for the right mug. Vision watched him with disguised scrutiny. Everything all right there, Sirrah? Oh, nothing you need be worrying yourself about, sir. Just seem to have misplaced some things. Damn that boy. 
always putting thing where they aren't supposed to go. Ah, uh, there's the thing, sir. He produced a decorated mug carved from oak and rock and banded in brass. This is a fine thing, isn't it? I bought it off a peddler in case his royal highness ever came callin' at my establishment. But he's never come down from his castle, so I figure it's good enough for you, isn't it? Looks that way to me, Vision replied. A mug fit for a king, but today it'll be mine. Perhaps this portends a rise in my fortunes, don't you think? Oh, begging your pardon, sir. I'm not one to mess about with no fortunes. Leave that to the witches and sorcerers, I say. The innkeep took a bottle of wine from the shelves and held it up before him. A fine vintage, if I may, sir. From my cousin's vineyard to the east, he says the sea air's good for the grapes. My palate has always appreciated the coastal vintages over the inland ones. Vision agreed, and the innkeep began to pour. Vision watched his hands carefully and saw the innkeep pressing something against the inside of the mug. It was a faint, but even in the dim light, he could make out some powder or oil falling from the innkeep's fingers into the wine. His eyes flicked past the mug to Tebow waiting behind the door, and he gave a subtle nod. The door began to creep open. Ere you are, sir, the innkeep handed over the wine. Drink up and your princess will be heir in no time at all. Vision held up the wine before him, swirling it about in the glass. Seems a bit of a shame for you not to have any, he said with an arched eyebrow. The innkeep sputtered and averted his eyes. It's wasted on someone like me, sir. I'm just a lowly innkeeper. This wine was made for knights and lords, not me. Indeed? Well, surely you aspire to be something more? Everyone is looking to improve their station these days and not all will settle for doing it honestly. The innkeeper paused, recognition beginning to creep into his expression. Not everyone is as honest as you, Sir Vision. Some of us have to make the hard choices. Indeed, Vision replied, and Thibaut struck. The sword plunged through the sorcerer's neck and emerged below his chin like an iron tongue coated in blood. His face tightened, then shimmered. His whole body shimmered, and the glamour faded. He was no longer the fat innkeeper but the tall, sinister sorcerer Vision had seen in the tent and cellar. Well done, Vision said as the sorcerer slumped to the floor. But we now have business below. He grimly drew his sword and a lit from the stool. Thibault wiped his sword on the sorcerer's robes and followed close behind. Vision threw open the back door of the inn to find the cellar doors still open. The cobblestone steps led down into the darkness but the princess beckoned. He suddenly wished he had retrieved a new shield after his tilt. His shield arm upraised in defense, and his sword cocked for a quick, killing thrust, he slowly descended into the dark cellar. His eyes adjusted slowly in the gloom. Something flashed in the darkness, and Vision darted aside. Dagobert emerged from within the cellar, his sword diving for Vision's scalp. The blow fell short as Vision backed away but the experienced knight turned it upward for another strike. This one vision swatted aside with his own sword and countered with his own thrust. Dagobert retreated from the attack, startled by how quickly vision had recovered. Vision came on strong, with three quick strikes to drive Dagobert backward. His foe dodged and parried, but could not regain the initiative. Dagobert ducked behind a pillar supporting the floor above for a reprieve, and vision looked around. Princess Adeline lay against the back wall, 
bound and gagged with ropes. Her eyes were wild with fear, but her hands twisted and squirmed in her bonds as she tried to free herself. Vision gave her a nod of encouragement. Dagobert exploited his momentary distraction with a frenzied lunge around the pillar that caught Vision off guard. He backed toward the steps, just in time to run into Thibaut descending to join them. Dagobert's blade clashed against his, throwing off bright, dancing sparks that stung his eyes in the darkness of the cellar. He was hemmed in against the stairs, unable to move and admit Thibaut to join the fight. Vision parried a blow, then turned his parry into a repose that struck off the other knight's mail. His sword point became ensnared in the surcoat for just a moment, but Dagobert used that moment to slash down at his exposed head. Vision turned away and caught the blow on his back. The blunt force of the strike hammered him through his own armor, and he heard himself cry out. But he darted forward under the force of and stumbled further into the cellar. Dagobert was now positioned between Vision in the cellar and Thibault on the stairs. Wisely, the other knight retreated from the surrounded position, but was forced to admit Thibault into the cellar. He was backing himself into a corner, and Vision cut off his escape. Sir Dagobert could now see he was in dire straits. Thibault advanced with his blade at the ready while Vision circled in to close him off from the other side. He was trapped now. His eyes searched in vain for an escape and, as Thibault closed, Dagobert lunged wildly at Vision, his sword swinging in a wide arc aim for his head. But Vision caught the blade on his mailed sleeve and turned it aside. Dagobert carried on forward toward the open center of the cellar, but Vision hauled him down to the dirt floor. They tangled there each reaching for a dagger at their belts, but Thibaut pinned Dagobert's arm. He was now exposed for the killing blow, and Vision wasted little time. He plunged the dagger down, just above the knight's gorget, and watched Dagobert's eyes go wide. Blood bubbled up from his mouth. He shuddered and then lay still. Vision arose from the body and went right to the princess. He cut her bonds and removed her gag, and she fell into his arms. Oh, thank you, Sir Vision! Thank the gods. My uncle is behind it all, he hired the sorcerer. He means to usurp my father, in fact if not in name. Calm yourself, your highness. Do not lose hope, I heard everything from above. I won't let him win. But what happened? How did you come to be here? Adeline raised her head from his shoulder and wiped away a tear. As Baron Tancred was being helped away, I saw his squire setting off in a different direction. I thought it strange that the baron's squire would not help his lord to his tent, so my maid and I followed him here. I sent her to find you, but no sooner had she left than the sorcerer spotted me. They brought me down here, and then my uncle showed up for a meeting with his plotters. He's gone to the tournament now. Oh, Sir Vision, I know he's going to defeat the other competitors. You're the only hope left. Then your last hope is your best hope. His aura is strong. The sorcerer did not lie. But he will only be invincible after he wins the tournament. I will stop him before then. But we must prepare. Thibault, warn Countess Tyburge and have her keep her knights at the ready in case the duke's men try to rush the royal box. We should warn my father. Adeline started. We could arrest him before he can defeat anyone else. We cannot contend with him now. He is the very portrait of authority now. The only way to break the spell is to defeat him in a contest of arms. 
We would never be believed if we accused him of treason. And what proof do we have? The sorcerer and Sir Dagobert are dead. The baron need only keep his mouth shut and will likely be drugged and bettered in by now anyway. I suppose what you say rings true. Adeline conceded with a sigh. Very well. We will have to rely on Sir Vision in the jousts. We should search the sorcerer's tent, Vision said suddenly. It may have enough within it to prove the duke's plan. Thibault warned the countess. Adeline and I will go to the tent. You'll want this, Thibault replied, and tossed Vision a small key ring. I took it from the sorcerer's body. It might open something in his tent, or even protect you against his wards. Vision grimaced at the thought of those spells, but nodded and thanked his squire. Well then, I will meet you soon at the tournament grounds. Thibault nodded and went back up the stairs. Vision and Adeline crossed the village and empty tournament grounds with great haste, though as they neared the sorcerer's tent, they heard a great roar go up from the crowd. Raucous cheering followed, along with the clattering of the wooden stands and the blaring of trumpets. Your uncle has surely defeated another contender, said Vision and Adeline nodded wordlessly. Soon enough they arrived again before the sorcerer's tent. Vision went this time to the front entrance and undid the golden cord sealing it shut. The heavy red cloth was pulled aside easily enough, and Vision breathed a sigh of relief as he stepped through the entrance and was not transformed into a cricket or some other strange creature. Despite its master absence, the tent still smelled strongly of indigo spice. It looked in daylight much the same as it had the night prior. The sorceress mirror stood against the wall beside him, now appearing like any other mirror. Adeline stepped into the tent behind him and looked about with a curious eye. How did he get all of this here? She wondered aloud. He could not have carried it all himself. Perhaps your uncle hired porters for him? Vision suggested. He had heard stories of sorcerers who could carry an entire mansion in their pocket, but something about this sorcerer did not strike him as being so skilled. Check his desk for letters. The heavy table still lay bare, so Vision turned his attention to the engraved chests beside and beneath it. With the keys Thibault had taken, he bent cautiously to unlock them. A key turned in the lock and Vision inhaled deeply as he opened the lid. Much to his relief, no fire burst forth, and his shape did not change. Inside was a great collection of scrolls and loose-leaf letters, some in strange scripts he could neither read nor recognize. Together with the princess, he seated himself on a folding chair and went through them one by one until at last he found something. Here, he said, starting up from his seat. This is a letter from Duke Sigismund to the sorcerer, Filderic, enlisting his aid in a scheme that he admits will be dangerous and even treasonous. Here is a letter to Filderic from Baron Tancred in which he is offered great riches and a place at court as royal adviser in exchange for his aid in the plot. Adeline held it out to him. Surely this is enough? It does not mention the plot itself. Vision replied as he skimmed the letter's contents. Would it convince your father? Adeline bit her lip in thought. I am unsure, she said at last and Vision shook his head. Then we will need more to overcome the sorcerer's spell. They pulled forth a fresh stack of papers and began sifting through them as well. Deep in though, the princess leaned herself against Vision's shoulder as she read unaware of her growing familiarity toward him. Vision smiled to himself but said nothing. Have you heard this name before? 
she asked after a long silence broken only by sighs and the shuffling of papers. Taurus. It is unlike any name I have heard before. Perhaps a foreigner plots with him? Perhaps, conceded Vision. He mentions Taurus bargain. Ah, Vision had found the answer. That must be the voice in the mirror. He turned to look at the thing and saw only their own reflection. His voice dropped to a whisper. Best not to speak it again. We do not know what lurks in the mirror's depths. Adeline nodded and looked from the mirror with a shiver. Vision regarded her with bemused interest as she pored over the remaining letters. Look here, she said after another silence. Sigismund offers the sorcerer his heart's desire in exchange for mastery over the crown and everything beneath it. That must be good enough? Indeed. For look here. The duke sends a list of instructions for forging his own crown. Treacherous knave, she hissed. My father has been nothing but generous to him. That should be enough, princess. I should go and prepare for the tilt. Take these letters and present them to your father once the spell is broken. How will you break the spell? She asked with audible concern. Vision could only shrug. I am a knight. I have only so many ways of doing things. Adeline nodded. We should go. They stood and gathered the damning papers, leaving the rest scattered about the tent, for the sorcerer would not be coming back for them. Vision moved to the tent's exit, but Adeline did not follow. Turning, he found her staring into the mirror. He stepped up behind her, looking over her shoulder. There was nothing there but their own reflection, crystal clear in the mirror's perfectly flat surface. The princess beauty was striking, fair and rosy-cheeked, with her dark brown hair falling from her henan to frame her face. Her lacy bosom still glittered with jewels in the tense, eerie lamplight. Do you see anything? she asked. Vision smiled and turned his gaze to her instead. Just a fair princess with a fiery spirit. Adeline blushed and looked to the tent's floor. A white hand reached up to brush away a stray lock that had fallen from her henan, and Vision felt her growing hotter beside him. You are too kind, Sir Vision, the princess stammered. I do not do it as a kindness, princess. I speak the truth as I'm charged to. You always know how to flatter a lady, she stammered. She turned around, close to his chest and looking up into his eyes. Her blue eyes were dazzling in the lamp's glow. Vision felt his heart beat faster, her breath hot on his neck. Princess? he asked, but she threw her arms about his shoulders and kissed him with a fiery passion. He felt one leg wrap around him and heard her moan of desire. Her lips were hot, her breath was hot, her touch hot on his neck like lightning, even through his mail and cuirass. Take me, she hissed, her voice barely above a whisper, though scorching with desire. Take me as you take your women. Her hands ran down her body to hike up her skirts. Vision wasted little time and unbuckled his cuirass. The heavy iron plate clanked to the ground unnoticed, soon followed by the male hauberk he wore beneath it. But the princess did not wait for him to finish undressing. She raised her skirts and pulled aside her undergarments to expose her white legs, then her shaven pink sex. Vision felt his cock harden and struggled to tear off his breeches. Adeline wetted a finger in her mouth and slid it between her pink lips while leaning herself against the heavy oaken desk. She moaned softly while she watched him disrobe, biting her lower lip in anticipation. 
Vision stripped himself naked and grabbed his cock in one hand. Stroking it eagerly, he stepped forward to stand between the princess's legs. She looked up at him with rampant desire. Fuck me, she gasped. Fuck me, Sir Vision. He did his bid. His hard cock slipped between her wet lips and sank inside her up to his stomach. Adeline's beautiful blue eyes went wide and her ruby mouth fell open wide. She moaned with lust as he slid in and out of her, feeling her wet sex around his cock. Vision grabbed at her body, clutching at the folds of her dress with both hands. Adeline planted her hands on the table, bracing herself as Vision's strokes grew faster and harder. The clapping of his hips against her sounded throughout the tent, and she began to moan louder. Beneath her dress, her little breasts shook and the jewels on her bodice clinked together under the force. Vision fucked faster, his lust for the beautiful princess overpowering him. Her henin began to slide off, locks of rich brown hair spilling from beneath it, but neither of them noticed. Vision had eyes only for her gorgeous young face and hands only for her slender body. Adeline begged him not to let up, her little frame trembling in his hands. Vision fucked with all his might and saw the table dragging through the dirt. The princess reached up to pull him close for another kiss. Their lips entwined, tongues jousting in Adeline's mouth, and she wrapped her legs about his waist. Vision lay himself atop her, feeling the cold, hard jewels on her breast press against his skin as he continued to thrust into her. His cock reached deeper inside her, and Adeline cried out in pleasure. She grew hotter against his chest, and he felt his cock begin to throb. He slowed his thrusting before he came, but Adeline turned a pleading eye to him. Don't stop. Vision kissed her lips in apology. I don't want to come yet, he whispered in her ear. She embraced him below his arms and nuzzled his neck. Then get up. I'll grant you a reprieve while I take this dress off. He stood up and slid his cock out from within her. It pulsed with desire, wanting to unleash its load inside the princess, but through a decade of practice, Vision restrained his cum Adeline stood up from the table as well, her whole body flushed with elation. She fumbled with her dress even as her henin toppled off her head to bounce off the table and to the floor. I'm so hot in this thing, she gasped. Here, Sir Vision. Help me out of it before I faint. He took to the task eagerly, though still careful not to tear at the expensive garment. He was experienced at undressing ladies, and soon enough he had stripped her naked in the cool, spice-scented air of the tent. She stood for a moment, looking down at his hard cock in his hands, then to her reflection in the mirror. In its glassy surface, she was a white flame in the cool blue dim of the tent. She crossed her legs and turned to show her profile to the mirror, one hand outstretched above her. You are the very vision of beauty, your highness, Vision said, aching to sheath his cock in her again. This mirror is a rare thing, she breathed, admiring her naked form in its reflection. Even some of my castles do not have mirrors this well made. She moved to stand directly in front of it, her naked body filling it almost to the frame, and Vision stepped up behind her, rubbing his cock against her ass. We make quite the pair, don't you think? She asked as he looked over her shoulder to admire her naked reflection. That we do, he replied quietly, burying his face in her hair. A smile split her face. Fuck me, she commanded, and gripped the mirror's frame in her hands. She spread her legs to admit his cock, 
and visions slid inside her again. He took her by her narrow waist and slammed his cock into her warm, wet purse. The princess squealed in delight, the mirror shaking in her hand, and her little breasts bouncing on her chest. Her reflection crooked a hungry smile back at him, and vision thrust into her again. He spread his feet for a firmer stance for thrusting into the princess. Her long, dark hair fell down her naked back, shaking to the sides as he fucked her. Her whole body shook and she climbed higher onto her tiptoes with each stroke. Her back arched, her knuckles turned white as she gripped the mirror's frame. Vision watched the reflection of her naked body shudder with each thrust he slammed into her hungry pink sex. She squealed and screamed throughout it all, her face twisted in pleasure as she stared back into his eyes through the mirror. She begged for more and he gave her no reprieve, fucking her until her ass began to redden and he began to tire. He stopped suddenly, his breath coming short and his thighs aching with exhaustion. Adeline dismounted from his cock and took it in her hands. You tire my stallion. She stood up on her tiptoes to kiss his cheek. Through shallow breaths, he muttered something in reply that he hoped was witty. Take a seat, she commanded. Let me do the work. He sat himself down on the sorcerer's cot, and the naked princess climbed into his lap. He held his cock upright for her as she settled her shaven sex onto it and sank down. Her eyes rolled back, her eyelids fluttered, and her legs trembled. Laughing to himself, Vision pulled the princess close and kissed her flushed neck. She moaned against his shoulder, arms wrapped tight about him, and began to ride his cock. Even through his aches, Vision matched her motion, thrusting his hard cock up into her as she rose and fell on him. Their bodies pressed together as one, Vision held her by her ass and rocked her back and forth on his cock. Fuck me, Sir Vision, she cried, and Vision prayed that the campgrounds remained empty for it would not do to be overheard now. An image sprang unbidden into his mind, one of being interrupted while balls deep in the king's youngest daughter. But the passion of the moment quickly overwhelmed that fear, and he buried his face in the princess's white neck. Adeline kissed and bit his neck, moaning louder as her pace increased. She planted both feet on the cot for a firmer stance, and Vision feared their weight would tip it over and spill them to the floor. He held on dearly as the princess fucked him faster and louder. She screamed into his shoulder as she reached orgasm and he felt her moisture stream down his cock. Her whole body shuddered atop him and she heaved to a stop. Vision felt his cock throbbing with desire again and shoved himself up from the cot. Adeline clung to him, her eyes rolled back in her head hanging that hung limply against his shoulder. He lifted her off his cock and lowered her to the floor, all the while close to bursting. When her bare legs touched the ground, she woke up to what was happening. She tilted her head back and opened her mouth to receive his cum. He stroked his cock the last bit of the way to climax, and groaned loudly as he came. He spurted a white line across her royal face from temple to chin, and she stifled a giggle. He looked down into her eye, one big beautiful blue orb staring back at him, while a line of cum kept her other closed. Adeline giggled again, and Vision came on her a second time. This one he aimed into her mouth, and watched as his seed dripped down her throat. Is that all? She teased around the cum in her mouth. The princess grabbed his cock in both her soft white hands and squeezed harder. She wrapped her red lips around his cock, kissed it, and Vision came again. 
Adeline smiled around his cock as she sucked it dry. Vision felt about to collapse back onto the cot and heaved with exhaustion. Don't faint on me now, Adeline said, her blue eyes looking up at him around his slackening cock. You must joust with my uncle for the fate of the kingdom. And I will, Vision replied. But I just need a moment's rest. You've, he gasped for breath as she stroked his cock again. You've really taken a lot out of me, your highness. She giggled, then swallowed. And you've put a lot into me, sir. She opened her mouth wide to show that she had swallowed all his cum and beamed. Vision gave her an exhausted smile. We should really get dressed and head to the tournament, he said at last. Adeline pretended to pout, and the sight of her kneeling naked before him made him want to fuck her all over again. But then she stood up and reached for her discarded dress. You're right, she sighed. Might I rely on you to help me put this back on? It seems only fair since you're the reason it came off in the first place. I thought you might go back to the tournament naked, he teased. The dress is beautiful, but it's hard to beat naked. Tell you what, he said as she giggled at the thought. I'll be your maid if you will be my squire and help me back into my armor. They cleaned themselves up as best they could, dressed, and hurried back to the entrance to the tournament grounds. The cheering of the crowd grew louder as they approached, and Vision could hearing the thunderous applause and beating of feet as he turned the last corner toward the entrance. There stood Thibault with a grim face. The Duke has defeated all challengers, he said. You must face him in the final tilt. Have you discovered anything? Indeed, we have enough to prove his treachery, if anyone will listen. Good luck with that, Thibault snorted. It was difficult enough to get the Countess to listen, and she has no love for Sigismund. But listen she did, it seems. Vision looked past his squire to the entrance to the tourney grounds. Waiting for him behind Thibault were Countess Tyburge and eight of her knights, led by Sir Joffre de Gazer, resplendent in his freshly cleaned armor. Joffre nodded to Vision and Adeline as they approached. Eventually, Thibault admitted, though I've had to make some concessions on your behalf. You are spoken for after the feast tonight, he muttered in a low voice, and Vision managed a smile. Are you ready, Countess? Vision asked and Tybridge extended an ostentatious hand toward her knights. You have nothing to fear from these schemers, Sir Vision. My finest knights stand ready to prevent any attempt to rush the royal box, Tybridge declared. She looked over Vision and the princess and cracked a sly smile. Though it would seem the royal box has already been rushed. Vision felt his cheeks grow hot and saw that Adeline was turning red as well. Tybridge chuckled to herself obviously immensely pleased with her joke, and her knights joined in. But do go on, Sir Vision. I look forward to seeing you work with your lance. On the tourney pitch, of course. Don't ever change, my lady. Vision sighed and went past her toward the staging area. I wouldn't dare, she called from behind him. Vision only shook his head. Inside waited his stallion, saddled and ready. Thibault handed over a new shield, freshly painted, and his heavy frog-mouthed helm. Wait, cried a voice, and Vision turned to see Adeline hurry into the staging area. She held in her hand a fresh scarf. Don't go without your lady's favor. Thibault lowered a lance so that she could tie it around the head and Vision smiled. Adeline smiled back at him, 
then stood up suddenly on her tiptoes and kissed his cheek. For luck, she whispered, and then fled back to her father's side. Damned fool! Tebow muttered, but Vision could only laugh. He swung himself into the stallion's saddle and took his lance from Tebow. Ready? the squire asked. Vision nodded and settled the heavy helm on his shoulders. As I'll ever be. Let's do this. Harold sounded their trumpets and Vision emerged from the staging area astride his steed. At the opposite end, Sigismund rode onto the pitch as well. He wore armor of black steel, with a red enamel dragon on his chest. His visored helm was decorated with dragon wings and a long-necked serpentine head atop its crown. Even from this distance, Vision could see its ruby eyes glint in the sunlight. At his entrance, the crowd gasped in awe, rising to their feet as one with eyes fixed upon the duke. Vision found his own eyes drawn to him, for he looked every inch the conquering hero. Even from beyond the grave, the sorcerer's spell held the assembled in awe. He might succeed in his plot despite his death, Vision realized. The two riders stopped before the royal box. Vision turned a side eye to the duke, who stared ahead imperiously as if Vision was beneath his notice. The duke's face fell for the briefest moment when he espied his niece sitting beside the king, but he almost instantly regained his composure. Vision could not help but be impressed. He leaned slightly toward the duke for an aside. Quite the enchantment you have on you, he whispered as the heralds read out their names. Your sorcerer knows his work. Well, knew his work. Shame about that. Slowly, Sigismund turned to look down on him. The duke's destria was perhaps a hand taller than Vision's borrowed charger, and the sorcerer's spell seemed to make that difference in height grow threefold. Beneath his helm, Vision could see the duke's handsome face break out in a sneer. You will regret that. His voice, clipped with contempt, echoed with authority even in his hushed tones and Vision felt an urge to bow before him. He looked hurriedly away to Princess Adeline in her chair. The princess gave him a thin smile of encouragement, and he felt his strength returning. The king stood up. Welcome to you both, Sir Vision, my dear brother. I offer to you my most hearty congratulations on your success so far. You now tilt for the title of Grand Champion of the Tournament. Fame and riches await the winner, so let's not delay any longer. Heralds, blow the trumpets and let us have ourselves a grand finale. Riders, to your places, cried the judge, and the crowd roared with eager anticipation. Good fortune to you, your grace. Vision called over his shoulder, but the duke did not respond. Hooves beating beneath him, Vision took up his mark by the entrance to the staging area. Tebow waited just beyond the edge of the pitch, tense and gripping a spare lance in white knuckles. Vision gave him what he hoped was a reassuring nod. On the far side of the list, the duke's destrier pawed the dried mud impatiently. The heralds stood up in their perches, flags raised high. Trumpets sounded. Vision stared straight ahead, his mind focused on the duke and the red dragon on his shield. It called to his lance point and Vision intended to bring them together. The flags dropped, and both riders spurred their steeds to a gallop. Hooves beat over the roar of the crowd and Vision steadied himself in the saddle against the awe-inspiring figure that drove down on him. He leveled his lance, fighting to keep it steady. The duke had no such trouble, and his lance remained perfectly still. It stared straight at Vision with cruel intent on its hammered iron face. 
The last yards fell away and Vision tilted his head, closing the final distance blind. He jolted in the saddle as they came together. His lance cracked and burst asunder. Shield took the brunt of the blow but did not split apart. Not yet. He felt himself twist away from the point of impact and his left foot slipped out of the stirrup. He slipped in the saddle, his foot flailing about to find the stirrup again. He heard the crowd gasp in anticipation of a fall, but then his toe caught the stirrup and he slid himself back into position. Yet despite his own troubles he had struck the duke a solid blow. When he lowered his head to look out his visor, he saw the crowd standing with concern. He craned his head back to see the duke settling himself back into the saddle. In nearly being unhorsed, he had nearly unhorsed his opponent as well. One point for Duke Sigismund d'Aquitaine. One point for Sir Vision de Surac. The riders will tilt again, the heralds cried. Vision breathed a sigh of relief. He had survived the first tilt. It had to get easier from here. His steed slowed to a trot, and they rounded the end of the list together to begin the return to their starting positions. The crowd spared him little mind as he passed by, though some stopped to jeer or sneer at him. Vision had no illusions about being the favorite. It will only make victory all the sweeter, he told himself. The duke neared, his face a barely restrained mask of fury beneath his helm. Vision gave the duke a jaunty nod and a mocking smile, which did little to improve his demeanor. He reached the staging area again and was greeted by Thibault with a fresh lance. Shame to leave the princess' favor in the dirt after just one tilt. Vision complained as he took the lance. Let's hope it did its job, Thibault replied. Which was what? Vision countered, and Thibault could only shrug. You're making him angry, right? The squire asked, and Vision nodded. Good, that can only hurt him. Trumpets sounded again and Thibault retreated. The duke waited impassively, his anger hidden by the distance. Vision took a deep breath as the flags fell again and he spurred his stallion into a charge. They thundered down the pitch toward each other again, the crowd roaring and their armor clattering. Vision gritted his teeth for the clash, as both Duke Sigismund and Adeline's fallen favor drew nearer and nearer. The Duke grew in Vision's vision until his trained Justa's reflex tilted his head back just before the clash. The impact jolted him violently again, more so than the first time, and both his feet flung out of their stirrups. The crowd cheered as he flailed about, his broken lance flying from his grasp, and his legs tightened about the horse's chest. Discarding his lance, he grabbed for the horse's mane and caught it in his hand. The stallion slowed to a trot and Vision steadied himself. His feet found the stirrups, and he regained his seat. He turned to look for the duke, and saw him riding away, his shield cracked and broken on the ground. Vision looked to his own shield, only to see a great rent in it. Sighing with disappointment, he pulled it off his arm and threw it away. He heard the heralds cry out from their perches as he rounded the end of the lists and turned back to the start. Three points for Duke Sigismund d'Aquitaine. Three points for Sir Vision de Surac. The riders will tilt a third time. Still evenly matched, he told himself. It must break my way soon. The duke was nearing and Vision prepared a barb as they passed. Be careful about your knees as we come together, Vision taunted. I should hate to cripple two knights in one day. Sigismund fixed him with a baleful stare, 
his dragon-winged helm staying locked on him even as Vision passed behind him toward the far side. He could feel the hate of his gaze even on his back. Strange, Vision thought, I don't feel the awe anymore. You've got him angry. Tebow encouraged as he handed over another lance. Vision took it and balanced it on his armored toe as Tebow crossed to his other side to fit him with a new shield. He will put everything he has into unhorsing you now, so hold firm and exploit his lack of balance. Vision knew more about jousting than his squire could ever hope to, but he appreciated hearing the advice out loud. He took another deep breath, steeling himself for the third tilt. Tebow fitted the shield to his gauntlet and gave it a heart slap. All right, you're all ready. Go win this. Flags were raised again. The trumpets sounded a third time. The crowd was on its feet, cheering wildly at the grand spectacle unfolding for the final tilt. Vision made a meaningless adjustment to his helm, anything to calm his nerves. The duke sat seething and motionless in his saddle, with a fresh lance and shield ready for the next clash. The heralds dropped their flags and Vision dug his spurs into the stallion's flanks. To the enraptured roar of the crowd, the two of them hurtled down the lists again. Vision crouched forward in his saddle, peering out the narrow vision's slit of his helm. This time, he decided, he would not look away. The danger of splinters was a risk he would accept in exchange keeping his eyes on his foe all the way to the impact. Sigismund made the same bargain. They crouched low atop their steeds with lances projecting forward like the horns of unicorns. Vision held his breath as the final yards disappeared beneath their horses' hooves and the bone-crunching clash awaited. They struck each other square in their shields and Vision felt himself come to a complete halt. He toppled heels overhead off the rump of his horse to crash into the dirt. Vision came up choking on dust of his horse, his helmet twisted around so that he could barely see. It had taken splinters from the lances, but none had passed through the vision slit. Not that it left Vision in any less pain. His back was aflame. He ached everywhere, but most of all on his left side where he had borne the brunt of so many blows of the lance. Vision staggered to his feet, stunned by his defeat. The crowd had fallen silent, or perhaps he could not hear through his helmet. He tore the heavy thing off and threw it into the dirt. The sunlight pierced his eyes and he squinted in the fresh light. The duke lay beside him in the dirt. Vision stood stupid a moment, so surprised was he at the result. He turned to the royal box, where all within leaned forward in great interest. The riders, the heralds were shocked, have unhorsed each other. We have a tie. Surprise and consternation rippled through the crowd. The duke staggered to his feet and looked around. In his pulpit, the tournament judge stood up. It is indeed a tie, he declared. This must be resolved on foot, with swords or their weapons of choice. Swords? Sigismund snarled. Squire! My sword! Tebow! Vision called, though he saw that his loyal squire was already running toward him, sword in hand. Vision extended a hand to receive it, and as he did, he saw Adeline's favor lying in the dirt amid the ruin of his shield. He bent to retrieve it and tied it about his arm. Tebow reached him and knelt theatrically with the hilt of his sheath long sword thrust up high. Vision smiled, appreciating his squire's taste for flair. The duke was less understanding and tore the blade from its scabbard before banishing his squire with a furious shout. 
He vaulted the barrier between them before the heralds could even signal to begin. The duke's fine steel longsword whistled through the air and Vision threw up his own blade in a desperate parry. Blades clashed, sparks flew, and the crowd gasped in awe. Behind him, Vision heard the tournament judge stammer. Let the duel begin! Vision retreated from his foe's reach to gather himself, but the duke allowed him no respite. He came on in a rage, his sword flashing the sun. Vision parried, then reposted but was himself defeated. He gave ground, keeping his opponent just a half-step too far away for a proper strike as he waited for the duke to tire. But the duke's stamina did not wane. Instead, his rage only increased his furor and drove him forward in a frenzied assault. Vision's arms whirled before him, blocking and deflecting a hurricane of strokes that his mind could barely follow. Only a decade of errantry experience kept him from defeat until at last the duke began to slow. Vision seized his moment and threw his shoulder forward. He connected squarely with the duke's chest, and Sigismund staggered backwards. Vision lunged for him, striking with his sword even as he grabbed with his free hand and caught the duke's crimson surcoat. They tangled together, and Vision seized his foe's blade in his mailed fist. Sigismund pulled back in surprise as he tried to wrest his sword free again, but Vision held firm. He pulled, and the sword flew from the duke's grasp. Disarmed, the duke lunged for him, and they tumbled to the dirt. Vision came up on stop, sword going for the throat, but Sigismund knocked it aside and flung a handful of dried mud in his face. Crying out in surprised dismay, Vision turned aside, and the duke slammed his helm into Vision's chest. He toppled over backwards as the duke rose above him. For a moment, the duke prevaricated between pressing his advantage and going for his discarded sword. He chose the latter, and that afforded Vision the time to stand up himself. He met the duke's incoming blow square on, and the crowd rippled with delight at the ringing of steel on steel. Their blades screeched along each other until they came to a halt, staring into each other's eyes through cross blades. I'll make you pay for this. The duke snarled, spittle flying from his mouth. Vision only smiled, and punched him in the face. The duke staggered backward, and Vision pressed the attack. He swung his blade overhead in a tall arc that came down on the duke's sword hand. He cried out, and the sword fell once again. Vision stepped closer and threw an elbow into the duke's chest. He connected with the cuirass, and feared he had hurt himself more than the duke, but he kept his foe off balance long enough to kick his foot out from beneath him and seize him by the collar of his surcoat. The crowd gasped in shock, sensing the end was near. Vision threw him to the ground and thrust his sword point against his throat. Yield! he cried, but the duke did not. Instead, he stared up at Vision in a fury, his face twisted in a red rage. Vision pressed the point of his sword against his neck. Yield! he snarled. The duke seemed to shrink before his eyes. The commanding aura that had enshrouded him waned and broke. The crowd rose to its feet and cheered, but not for the duke. Sir Vision, they cried, beating their hands on the railings and their feet on the risers. They hailed him as champion, and the duke at last raised his hand in surrender. I yield, he hissed, barely audible over the thunder of the crowd. Sir Vision de Surak is the winner, cried Count Theobald. Vision looked to the royal box and saw the king standing, looking down on his fallen brother with suspicion. 
he was far from the only one. The Duke's sudden rise in popularity has not gone unnoticed. Your Majesty, Vision called out above the crowd. You are deceived no longer. Your brother has conspired with a sorcerer to usurp your rightful authority. He has been under an enchantment that makes him seem more than he really is. With each victory in the tournament, his aura of majesty grows. Had he won, he could command anything. But now that he is defeated, the spell is broken and you can see with your own eyes what a man he is. King Guntheric turned a suspicious eye toward Vision. The crowd continued to cheer, largely oblivious to the scene unfolding before the royal box. They are grave accusations. I hope you do not speak carelessly, Sir Vision. I do not, sire. I have been to the sorcerer's tent in the tournament grounds and found his correspondence that proves my accusations are true. In the inn in town, you will find his sorcerer, dead, along with Sir Dagobert de Territory, another member of the plot. Baron Tancred is another. It's true, father, Adeline said, coming to Vision's aid. My maid Tilda heard them plotting in the cellars and I came to Sir Vision for help. Dagobert killed Tilda, but we uncovered his scheme anyway. They caught me by the inn and held me in the cellar. Here are the letters that Sir Vision and I found in the tent of the sorcerer. Lies! Sigismund cried. The crowd had begun to quiet down and turn their attention to the unfolding drama. This is another trick, like when he wounded the baron. Deliberately wounded the baron. Sir Vision is a scheming snake, a mere knight-errant who envies the wealth and power of his betters. He is lying to you, Guntheric. He has seduced your daughter and secured the naive girl's word for his own designs. I have seen a change come over you, Sigismund. A change that has now reversed itself with your fall. Guards, take my brother to his tent to recover from his defeat. I will read these letters are determine my brother's fate. The king's men emerged from the edges of the tournament grounds and hauled the duke to his feet. Fixing Vision with a hateful glare, he was led away. But now, Sir Vision, the king continued, it falls to me to name you champion of the tournament. My most hearty congratulations. A page appeared by Vision's side with a crown of laurels. Vision knelt and received it upon his head. As the leafy branches alit upon his head, the crowd erupted in a great cheer. The cloth of gold beneath the king's box parted, and a procession of heralds emerged to fate him. The stands shook under the tramping of feet, and with great effort Thibault forced his way through the crowd to stand by Vision's side. The celebrations went on for some time, with the king's people lavishing gold, brocade, and even a new stallion upon him until the sun began to set. He emerged from the tourney field to find the princess waiting for him. Congratulations, Sir Vision, she said, hiding a shy smile. My father has read enough of the conspirators' letters to condemn my uncle. I thank you for your aid today. Without you we would be under his spell. Think nothing of it, princess. I do what my duty requires and nothing less. She made to reply, but Countess Tyburge appeared from the crowd. She marched boldly to Vision's side and looped an arm through his. Well, 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 she proclaimed. It seems you are a victor after all. I would be honored to have such an illustrious knight escort me to the banquet. And perhaps afterwards to my private chambers? Again? It would be my pleasure, Countess. Vision replied with a bow. He turned toward Adeline with a half-apologetic look, 
but Tybridge spoke before he could. Do stop by, your highness. Sir Vision, and I would so love to get better acquainted with you. 